Hi, this is Review Askew Anew, the podcast where we look at Kevin Smith's filmography through a modern lens. I'm Darren Jackson, a.k.a. The Rap Critic on YouTube, and I'm joined by my co-host and friend Evan as we go through this journey. And you guys, oh my god, oh my god. So, we saw two different versions of this movie. Which we found out... <laughs> Ten minutes before we started recording, he I saw him post today on Facebook that, oh my God, Mallrats is the worst movie I've ever seen. It's the room level bad. It's so terrible. And I was like, oh, I didn't think it was bad. And, and I'm thinking like, huh, this is going to be interesting. And then he says something about like the mayor giving a speech and, and apparently, and then somebody on Twitter... Uh, told, we yeah. would have spent. So thank you to what was their name? Uh, uh, the actual Cathal. We got to shout them out. The actual Cathal. Thank you so much because if you had not told Darren ten minutes before, you know, <laughs> I, if I didn't just happen to check we, my we Twitter, were, God knows how long we would have spent just arguing about how the movie starts <laughs> and getting really confused. Because uh, I watched it on Amazon Prime, and apparently what I saw was the director's cut. Mm. Uh, which was what, you know, Kevin Smith actually intended. Uh, the version he saw was half an hour longer. It was the theatrical yes. version. There was a bunch of crap right at the beginning that seems to have been something the studio insisted upon after test audiences were confused or something. Yeah. I, um, so, yeah, I remember noticing something was wrong when I saw, like, wait a minute. It says that it's 94 minutes when I look it up, but it's like the what I'm watching says two hours. I'm like, what's going on? And so here's the version that I saw, right? So the movie for me starts with, um, and like I said, I was I was watching it, dude. These jokes get so bad. Like there were points where I literally considered stopping the movie. Like I was like, I don't think I can continue. I don't think I can keep doing this, guys. First of all, it starts with the bald dude who overacts to fucking hell and back. Oh my god, I cannot tell you how much I want this character to just not be on screen. <laughs> He's so fucking bad at the way he overacts. Like, he is Jim Carrey to the fucking max, but it's not funny. Um, Which he does settle down, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, By the time the movie, what I'm going to refer to as the movie proper starts, like mm -hmm. what... Kevin Smith initially intended. By the time that starts, he's like, he's definitely somewhat over the top, but he's not painful to watch. Yeah, I, I don't think. Um, so the uh, the way the movie starts is like the the mayor is giving a grant money to the um to to the bald guy, and he's like, oh, you know, I'm kissing your ass and sucking up to you. <laughs> and the way it's shot is so fucking bad. Dude, it's just like shot like a full frame. They like barely ever give any close-ups or like, you know, shot reverse shots, anything like that. It's just like it, it looked like I was it's watching. It's shot a, like a play, like yeah. you said, like a video recording of a of a high school play. Yeah, and I was just like completely baffled. I'm like, um, this did come after Clerks, right? Like, he knows how to direct a movie, doesn't he? Because there are basic things that are happening here. I'm like, I don't know dick about movies and I know something's wrong here, you know, like, like they had just forgotten to put in certain things. And as we go on, I'll explain. So, uh, after that's established, we cut up to, uh, TS and his girlfriend and she's doing her homework or something like that. And he's like doing a Confederate reenactment thing. And so what ends up happening is that like on a rooftop, you said, right? Yeah. On a rooftop. On a rooftop, they're going to do some sort of reenactment thing. And the first thing I wrote down is like, oh, my God, his acting is worse than Dante's. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just like immediately. Oh, like, Brian oh. O'Hara. 
I was like, oh my God. And then this is the line that I wrote down that just like blew me away. Um, Because like, okay, I know him for better dialogue than this. He says, um, basically the whole uh, conceit is that she's going to be on this dating show because her dad made her, you know, go on the dating show because it's going to help out the mall or whatever. They're trying to put a dating show in a mall. It's the 90s. And uh, uh, she's like, well, I went along with it because it will help out my dad's business. And she's like, and, you know, the the boyfriend's like, um, but I, first of all, I thought we were going to uh, uh, Orlando Studios or something like that, first of all. And then second of all, um, I'm your boyfriend. Why are you going on a dating show? Isn't this kind of fucked up? Wouldn't you want to tell me about this? And it's like, okay, yeah, that's a good point. But then he goes like, you, and I quote, you know, for a science major, you sure are fucking stupid sometimes. And I was like, okay, that's too far. It's, like, wow. Yeah. That, see, I have not seen any of this, but yeah. that's like TS does not talk to Brandy like that it in really other parts colors of the movie. The film in a yeah, way because really like dark. because that's like shitty and horrible. And why would you root for? You know, for a guy to win back a girl that he just called fucking stupid. Like, yeah. No, that's shitty. Like and this fucking. And, uh, B-grade Brendan Fraser look-alike as mother- He does look like <laughs> Brendan Fraser. I was actually, I kept having to look and see if he was actually Brendan Fraser because I was confused. But so so here's what the, what's weird to me about all that is that the version I saw, um, you know, really succinctly and clearly and in a way that just completely makes sense sets up the conflict in a way, it, it feels like the studio being like, oh, audiences aren't going to be smart enough to pick up on the terribly subtle. Because, okay, so here, here's what <laughs> I saw. Here's how the beginning okay. of the movie was for me. Um, first of all, there's a really fun little teaser where we get a, like a, like sort of a montage shot of the mall and all the different shops and they have funny names like, uh, like rug munchers for the carpet and burning flesh for the tanning place. <laughs> uh, and, and buy and, me toys. I yeah, saw that one. Yeah, and overall, this uh, we hear Brody, whom that's Jason Lee's character, and we haven't seen him yet, but we hear Brody telling a cousin Walter story. Now, if we recall, in Clerks, Randall also has a cousin Walter, probably the same person uh, who died trying to suck his own dick. Uh, <laughs> Brody's cousin Walter story is that cousin Walter was buying cats to shove up his ass. And he kept buying cats and all this stuff and getting in trouble and having to go to the ER. And then it turns out at the end, he says, you know, he, he sees his cousin at the pet store. He says, why are you buying a cat? Or it's just going to happen. And he says, well, how the hell else am I supposed to get the gerbil out? Um, I remember watching that on Comedy Central. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. This movie wasn't as bad. Like the way it starts off really like silly and ridiculous and over the top like that. It's like, that was actually a pretty good starting because joke. to me, yeah, it's like, first of all, that's like. I think a pretty old joke. It's you know an urban yeah, legend, yeah, but just like urban you know, slash joke. But what it prepares it, you for the what film. it does is it it's the same thing that the like weird slate with the creepy birthday mm -hmm. clown sets up in Clerks. It's an immediate message to the audience of like this is gonna go places. This is a weird world. Gird your loins. Uh, and this, this is 90s shot right. gross out and, comedy. And, <laughs> right, exactly. So you get this story that kind of tells you in advance what the tone of the movie is going to be. And then you also see the montage of the mall, which is the setting. It's the important, you know, and kind of a character. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so cliche to say the mall is a character in itself. But it, but you know, it, 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 I it think is. we're going to get, ooh, we're going to get into it. Okay, and so we get that little teaser. 
And then we get the credits, which I do think the credit sequence is really cool with all mm-hmm. the characters having their own comic book covers. Uh, and the funny thing is that uh, the the Ben Affleck character uh, has a cover that looks sort of like it's a reference to Batman. Batman. <laughs> Batman. Oh, my God. And then it's oh like, my God, right? It's prophetic. It was prophetic. <laughs> so that was really funny. Um, and then the first scene that I saw after that is T.S. pulls up to Brandy's house in his car, mm. and he's like, come on, babe, we're going to go to Universal. You ready to go? You packed? And she says, no, I can't. And she tells a story, and this was referenced uh, later, um, but Julie Dwyer, who was supposed to be on the dating sh- she just says, you know, my dad, Julie Dwyer was supposed to be on my dad's dating show. She died last night. Uh, she... Because apparently T.S. told her the camera adds 10 pounds and she flipped out and went and did lap after lap after lap in the pool and um, and died of an embolism. And she says, look, you know, the girl who's supposed to be on the show died. My dad's in a tight spot. I got to fill in for him. Um, and T.S. like gets really upset and, and she gets mm. upset with him for getting upset and they break up. And. And the thing there is that like, OK, that sounds more like Kevin Smith to me. It sounds more like Kevin Smith, first of all. It's set up by a wacky yet macabre yeah. event that yeah. a girl a girl died trying to like slim down before going on a stupid dating show. It's not just that she's like, oh, I should go on my dad's show because it'll help out the blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Like she, her dad is like actually short a contestant the day of filming. Like it's actually somewhat of an emergency situation. Right, right. And she's helping her dad out in a serious pinch. Yeah, and it's like, so, it's not, I'm not actually taking it seriously. Right. This is, so yeah, so yeah. her actions make a lot more sense. And also like T.S. is being a little bit of a jerk and like not understanding, but also he's literally driving up in the car ready to go to Universal. So his being upset makes more sense. Yeah. And he doesn't call her fucking stupid. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense how, like he was like, we planned for this. And yet you're just going to flip because he asked you, why didn't he ask you before? Yeah, so, he, so has to, he has to have known about this. Right. Yeah. So, so with this, both TS and Brandy are a lot more sympathetic. And it also, like, I think trusts the audience. I think that there was a lot of not trusting the audience at all Very in mainstream so. 90s entertainment. Mm-hmm. Because to me, and it's like, okay, we're, you know, uh, like, I'm 30, you're in your mid 20s. Like, we grew up. With prestige television, we grew up with trust the audience. Right. So we grew up with Simpsons. Simpsons is our background. So to you know me, what I'm saying? right, and and it was well established by the time yeah. we were old enough to watch it. So to us, him him driving up and saying, "Babe, we're about to go to Universal," and her saying, "Look, this girl died last night. I have to be on my father's dating show." That's plenty of information. Exactly. That is that is not confusing at all. Yeah. But apparently studio heads in the 90s thought, no, 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 that's confusing. You're laying too much information on them at once. You have to like really set it up that my dad is doing a thing and no, no, no. And, like, and he's just being like, malicious like, by pulling this up I on just, you, you know? It just really seems like they had no res- – not, you know, it's like yeah. if Kevin Smith was having his – if he was having his arm twisted – it really seems like the studio had no respect for the audience at all if they really thought the audience was too stupid mm. to understand I need to be on my dad's dating show tonight because this happened. Like, yeah, like man, that really pisses me off, actually. So, I'm really angry. So here's what happens instead. <laughs> here's what happens in the version okay. I see, right? What happens instead is he's talking to her and she's like, you know, she gets mad that he's not more accepting of the fact that he's not – she. 
is going on a dating show, <laughs> you know, um, and he he tries to walk after her like, wait, slow down, but he's got the musket in his hand, right? And so he reaches for her shoulders with a musket in his hand, and the trigger gets stuck in her hair. And so she's like, oh, no, the trigger's stuck in my hair. Get it out. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And, you know, he's trying oh, to twist it around. God. And then they get to the edge of the building where the father and the, um, where the dad and the mayor happen to be. And he fires off a couple of blanks accidentally. Oh. And, you know, everyone starts ducking down. And they're like, oh, my God, no, what's going on? You know, save the mayor, save the mayor. And they're shooting back up at the guys. And, dude, it's so bad. That is just such crappy sitcom bullshit. Yeah, like, when she, like, literally, the gunshots are fucking delayed. The gunshots and their reactions to the gunshots. Like, I'm telling you, the first 30 minutes of this movie looks like it was done that, in one take. That sounds I'm like you. That sounds like Kevin Smith being like, oh, you want some extra? You want some padding? Fuck you. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, I'm just going to make it as shitty as possible. Yeah, and they're shooting the guns up at the uh, up at the building. And then you see them looking over and it's like an extra beat where it's just like, um, shouldn't the gunshots have happened? And then the gunshots happen and then they duck and it's like... Okay, what? <laughs> you know, it's like when Jeez. someone aims a gun at you, you move. Like, what are you? What? What the hell? You know, it just didn't make sense. And then, then what happens next is the the um the uh, the mayor's on a stretcher, you know, or next broken or whatever because of all this contrivance. And she's like, "Consider your check ripped up." And so she rips up the check, and she's like, "You know." And so he comes over, and he's like, "Uh, you know, Brendan Fraser look alike." He comes over, and he's like, "Oh, so you know, we're we're cool, right? <laughs> it's okay." And the way they shoot this next scene is like. You, you know when you watch a stage play and people have to cheat out to the audience yeah. in order for you to see their facial expressions? That's what they're doing, but in a movie. And I'm like, oh my god, what the hell? Like, and look at each other. What the, the fuck? And to me, that's also, it's just, it's again not trusting the audience and thinking that the stakes have to be made artificially, like... Literally telegraphed to the fucking audience. Look, the, the idea that we have to, like, artificially make the stakes, like, oh, the mayor and da-da-da, and it's like, mm -hmm. no, literally, like, he runs a game show. He wants his game show that is his job to do well. Like, that's enough stakes. That makes sense. It's just... Ugh. And it okay. looks so cheap. It looked like they couldn't afford more than so, one set. So I was like, did oh, my you, God. So did then T.S. ever come to the house... Yes, yes, he does. But there's another scene. Then we cut to introducing Brody, right? And this is the scene where the the girlfriend breaks up with him. Like the oh, idea okay. is that they both see, get broken see, up. See, this happened in the version I saw. This happens after because I guess the rooftop scene kind of replaced mm. T.S. coming up to Brandy's house and then breaking up there. But we'll we'll get to uh, that when, once. We, hopefully, we'll get on the same timeline soon yeah. enough. But so, so okay, so you see Brody starts, and she starts knocking on his head like he's a fucking cartoon, and that that was the moment where I was just like. Yeah, I kind of feel like this movie should have been a cartoon. Like, some stuff that happens <laughs> is so over the top. It does seem and I'm very like, cartoony, but, Especially yeah. when we get to the the crown jewels of the fucking viewers' universe. The, the ch heavyweight champions oh, tagged in the, to the, save the goddamn the film. The Jay and Silent Bob stuff was very <laughs> silly. This movie has a lot of parallels with Clerks. And one of them is two losers, you know, two slackers or whatever, 90s disaffected youth, right? And the thing about their relationship that ties them together is that, oh, we both got broken up with our girlfriends. You know, our, our girlfriends both broke up with us. Hey, let's go to the mall. And I remember just being like, that's a stupid, what? Why would you go to, what? 
And and then of course they piled on top of it like oh uh, um, the police are looking for you so uh, why not go to the mall because you're being looked uh, you're being sought after because of the shooting of the mayor or whatever. See that makes a big difference because the version I saw about it didn't have any stupid like the mayor got paralyzed and the police are after you shit. It was literally mm. just these two slackers got and see that to me like. It, it's a sl- I think people people mistakenly refer to some of Kevin Smith's stuff as stoner comedy. Mm. I don't think it's stoner comedy, uh, but it's definitely slacker comedy. And you have that just like Clerks was about real life, ordinary, you know, not not always like ordinary, but but mundane, feasible, petty shit. Um you get two guys who get broken up with and they're like, shit, let's go spend the day at the mall instead of sitting at home and moping. That makes sense. Whereas when it's like, oh, the police are after you, it's like, that's just fake artificial bullshit yeah. stakes. He says, oh, let's hide don't... in plain sight by going to the mall. That's what? so stupid. No, that's, that's, that was not in the director's cut. That's mm. some, wow. I'm, I'm very, I want to find the studio head who made Kevin Smith do this and make yeah. them answer for their crimes. So, um, yeah, I, I wrote down Jason Lee fucking sucks in the first part of the movie. He laughs after asking, uh, his, his, fr- he laughs after asking TS if he's ever farted in front of his girlfriend. And the thing about it is, as you're watching it, like, as I'm watching, I'm like, I see how this scene should have gone. It should have gone, hey, you know, uh, I've, you know how you know when uh, you're really in love or not if you can fart in front of your girlfriend? And he's like, oh, what are you talking about? Yeah, I farted in front of my girlfriend. That's how I knew it wasn't love. I mean, sure, she was giving me a blowjob. But, I mean, you know, and it's like, that's a funny joke. But the way it was told was like this. Oh, yeah, I've, uh, have you ever farted in front of your girlfriend? And he goes, what? And then Jason Lee goes, <laughs> Have you ever farted in front of your girlfriend? And he's like, oh, um, I mean, no. And it's like, well, I mean, it was during a blowjob. So, and it's like, you're already fucking so self-satisfied with your own fucking joke that I can't, I, as the audience member, I'm not allowed to laugh along with it, with the, the stakes of what you're talking about, because you've already ruined it by laughing I and, like, ruining it. It's weird because I don't remember him laughing, but I don't know if I just didn't notice or didn't make note of it. Or if he didn't in the cut. Now it's like, I don't trust anything. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, I the don't, bears. It is. Well, <laughs> because we both, universe. we literally saw two different versions. <coughs> mm. We literally saw two different versions. So I don't trust anything and we can't confirm details for each other. So that's yeah, yeah. stressful. And so watching this movie, like you see the point where, you know, Brendan Fraser has to look, you know, uh, Brendan Fraser's uh, little brother has to look like he's like, oh, I don't understand what's happening. So he's like bugging out his eyes, looking really silly. And I feel like there's supposed to be music or some close up or anything happening, but it's not. And when she broke up with him, it was so like, they're so pathetic that it's too pathetic. Yeah. Like as you're watching movies, like, okay, he hasn't sexually satisfied her. She went to the bathroom. But again, dude, oh. I know. <laughs> like I, I said, no, it no, no, no. I know what you mean. But it's like, <laughs> The way it's written is it's slightly too pathetic. Like she hasn't introduced her to Bro- her mom Brody's, yet. Brody and is she, a little too much. Yeah, he <laughs> she has to literally leave through the window of her room, and I was like, okay, this is too much. And I feel like this should have, been, like I said, if this was a cartoon, if this was supposed to be ridiculous, stupid, really over the top, it would have worked. But it felt like they tried to make it human at one point, and so to do that and be ridiculous is like the tonal shift is just. It doesn't yeah. work, especially when the dialogue is so shitty. So my overall 
And, and I, I think I got a very different impression over all of the movie from you because I wasn't assaulted by 30 minutes mm. of horrible, horrible, terrible sitcom shit. And it really paints the characters. It really like yeah. makes it like, I don't want to fucking hang out with these people, you know? Yeah, no, because, you know, it's like... Brody, when you first meet him, is like very much a man child, very much a terrible boyfriend. Um, but TS is not like like when you meet TS, yeah, he might be arguably in the wrong because he's not understanding Brandy's point of view or whatever. But he's like, you know, he's about to take his girlfriend to a wonderful vacation where he's about to propose to her. And she says, no, because I got to be on my dad's show. And, you know, the dad hates you and blah, blah, blah. And so he's much more sympathetic. He's not a dick. He's not a bumbling idiot. He's just, you know, like. Yeah, it felt like they tried to do stuff to make him more, quote, unquote, relatable by making him a dude. And he was already like relatable. And they just made him shitty, it sounds like. Yeah. And then I absolutely, like. Remember the scene? Okay, so this is where I join up to where you're st- talking about. So, um, you know, she leaves out the window and she's like, I'm breaking up with you by giving him, by writing it down she, and giving it to she him. She, like, had the letter the whole time. Yeah, it's so, like... And it was yeah. like, what, what was this why whole did, thing if you were planning on... Why didn't you just say it to his face? I, why are you... Like, there were parts where I felt like this movie should have been written about, like, high schoolers. Because it's just they, like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, because they're she... all very, even like, even though Renee, the girlfriend, the Shannon Doherty, is relatively mature compared to Brody, which is a very low bar. She's still yeah. pretty immature. Yeah, yeah, she like writes a letter to him instead of having a conversation. So I will say I got a much different and better overall impression of the movie because I wasn't, you know, I, I, I didn't have that horrible beginning oh, coloring my, my whole impression. But I will say... um, I, what I think was interesting to me is so Clerks was very much an indie movie. It was black and white. It was this very like small day in the life. And in some ways, Clerks, um, you know, being black and white, being set in a convenience store, almost felt like this sort of fly on the wall, mm. like not quite security cam footage, but it's very like fly on the wall. It's like you're watching these people in their ordinary lives. Mallrats was obviously in color. Um, and it was, you know, and you had the credits starting out being comics, and you have Brody is, you know, obsessed with comics, and it, and and then also like Jay and Silent Bob and Clerks, they're just, you know, weird act, you know, like drug dealers standing out in front of the convenience store, that kind of weird. In this one, they have these antics that like yeah. are very cartoony. They are, they are very um, different. Like when you watch the first Clerks movie, they're just two idiots hanging out, and in the second movie, they get. Like, they turn into, uh, what's the uh, Simpsons character? Poochie. You know, where it's like, <laughs> all of a sudden, they're these over-the-top characters. Like, no, before they, they were idiots, but they were relatable idiots. Now they're just these legit cartoon characters. They did definitely turn into cartoons. I mean, they've got, you know, stuff happening with, like... I mean, Silent Bob has stuff... Silent Bob does things that are physically... Like, he pulls, at one point, <laughs> a fully inflatable sex doll out of his jacket that either was already inflated or inflates immediately upon him pulling it out and it wouldn't have fit in there. So they, they literally are almost exactly cartoon characters. Like they're going for the broad comedy. They're going for the um, airplane, you know, type of like, ooh, this right. is completely over the top. But, but the thing is that Mallrats, like, it felt, the version I saw, it felt very intentionally to me like a comic book that felt mm. that felt very very intentional um it felt like an indie comic but it's it felt like the kind of like tank girl 
Like, mm, not quite as crazy as Tank Girl, but it had that kind of Tank Girl. I don't mean the movie, but I mean if you read the Tank Girl comics, um, it had that feel of being sort of, like, colorful and crazy and random and and uh, and still about, like, some ordinary life shit when you come down to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... So, so to me, the over-the-topness felt like a stylistic choice. But again, that's because I didn't come into it with a shitty sitcom tacked onto the front of it. Yeah, and so when when they, the movie starts proper, they drive by the quick stop in a way that looks like it's going to be an establishing shot. But they, I they just, missed that. Yeah. Either, but it might not have been in the version I saw because yeah. the version I saw... The it starts with T S and Brandy at Brandy's house. Then it's Brody and then then it's uh, the Brody and Renee scene, and then Brody and T S. I think is the next shot. Mm. So I, I I may not have actually seen that in the version that mm. I saw. So um yeah, like it, it was like it looked like something was supposed to happen, and then it just didn't. It looked like that was there just so the audience can go, "Woo! I saw that movie last year." You know what I mean? Yeah, I, that sounds like a studio thing because I really – I was taking pretty close notes and I don't think that happened. You're like, how can the, we relate this to the movie that yeah, you're that, we're trying to make a franchise and again, out of it? And know? again, fuck the audience. They're all idiots. They don't – they don't. Yeah, exactly. they can't – How are they, they going to know it's, a, it's related to the other movie if they don't see that, you know? Yeah, especially because huh. apparently in the theatrical version they cut the Cousin Walter story, which, you know, it probably was just like, oh, that's offensive. People are going to walk out. Like, mm. you know. Um. Let me see. Oh, and then I remember. So we get into the the scene with with the dad, and she's he's trying to talk to her, and like there's sweet music playing during the Brendan Fraser's little brother talking to uh, the girl <laughs> about the incident, and I'm like, why is this music here? I don't remember you, that music. Yeah, That's, I think they added that. I think that that, one, that must have been added yes, also because when I was watching that scene, I was just like. This is not the type of sweet music scene. This is a I'm sorry I fucked up scene, you know? And and also I'm looking I'm like again, why is the camera so fucking far away? Like why are we not up close so, to these characters? So we're talking here about Julie Dwyer dying, right? Mm-hmm. Uh no, no. Th- that Wait, never actually we- comes up in the uh in the that's like that's an important viewers yeah. universe canon. Isn't I mean, it's referenced insane? later in the in the animated se- man. Like man, they just did not respect man. Them at they all. fucked this movie yeah. up. Do you know what the budget of this movie was? Uh, what was it? Something like two hundred fifty. It is six point one million dollars. What Mallrats? That's the budget. Yes, for Mallrats. You know what the box office returns was. Two point one million. Oh, geez. So this movie no, it was, it was chasing Amy because he did chasing Amy next, and that one he only had like two fifty to make it, mm-hmm. like two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, and then it's like, oh, we're not spending any more. Right, money. Oh, yeah. and then chasing Amy did really well, which yep. you know we're not going to talk too much about that because we'll do an episode on it, but. Um, but yeah, like obviously, also chasing Amy doesn't have people swinging from grappling hooks. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler! There's no grappling hooks in chasing Amy. <laughs> so the camera crew looks inside the house, and this is the stupidest contrivance. It's like, uh, so we have uh, Brody, who's supposed to be our Randall of the movie. He is our Randall surrogate. And he is such a sub-Randall character. Like, Randall would deliver some of these lines so much better and with such better deadpan. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like when he's like, oh, yeah, do you want to see uh, what this guy looks like? Uh, you know, he's like, a, follow me, camera crew. I'll show you what uh, the guy's 
father looks like. Wait, 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 wait. So that's yeah. Brody is like leading the camera Brody crew. Leads a camera oh, crew. Oh, for fuck's sake. To the dad's this is, house. This is not in the director's cut. And and here's the thing. The dad comes happens to be getting out of the shower. Of course. Uh-huh. So he's got a towel around him, and he's like, and the music that starts playing sounds like cheap 90s porno music. And I'm like, uh, all right, is, see, this, is this the same movie? These shots. <laughs> all right, so I got to tell you, these shots in the director's cut, dude, I feel like we're going to be doing this the whole time. This is awesome. Because so, this is good, though. Yeah, yeah. We so, got both versions. So the shots are in the director's cut, but they're used completely differently. Mm. So... In the version, in the director's cut, the first post-credit scene is T.S. rolling up to Brandy's house. They're having the argument, and there it's. And this actually reminded me a little bit of some of the funny justification, uh, ju- justification, juxtapositions and cuts in Clerks because at one point she like she says something about uh, like her dad being devastated, and then it cuts to him like just kind of like bouncing around in his towel and like throwing punches and looking mm. really like happy um but it's not like weird cheap it, like you don't feel the camera there it's just like a shot of him but it's very matter of fact and it's not like oh look we're looking at a guy in a towel bound yeah. budget bound and the thing is the towel comes off and the, well okay so okay. the way that it's used in the scene in the director's cut is it's pr- I think pretty funny. It's like a dumb ge- it's a dumb joke, but it's funny that um, Brandy says something about you know T.S. You can be such an ass, and then it cuts to the towel falling off, and there's <laughs> his butt, and that's it. It's a simple, silly joke, ass, ass, but it's funny, and there's no like weird, and there's no a fucking Brody leading the camera into her dad's house. What the hell? Yeah, it's just like oh, that is too much. Like that, that seems just, like the contrivance. That sounds very. Studio, that know. sounds very contrived because yeah, like trying to make their Wayne's World or some shit. Right? You know what because I mean? like we see that you know we see those shots of the dad being goofy and jumping around in a towel, but like it's just used in this very matter of fact way, and it's funny. And yeah, it's and not... so what ends up happening is the dad, of course, sees the camera and he goes. And he reacts in the most unrealistic way I've ever seen. He just goes, looks at the camera, just goes, ah, like like a fucking villain in a movie. So it's just supposed to be like, <laughs> so is this just supposed to be like fourth wall breaking? Like, oh, Brody knows he's in a movie. Is that what that's well, supposed no, to be? No, no, no. What it is is like, I've been spotted by people recording me. I'm but angry. I'm, saying, I'm but going the- to grab my shotgun. <laughs> But I'm saying, but the cameras that Brody is leading into his house, yeah. are they the the cameras that are of shooting mall crew. rats? They're oh, it's news a news crew. crew? Yeah. The whole reason why this is happening is because uh, the reason why they leave, uh, the reason why T.S. goes along with Brody to, uh, to, to get out of the house is because the news crew is hounding him in a scene that oh my is God. so bad... It, also looks horrible because they don't add like ADR of the people outside, like you know, like you know, taking pictures and stuff like that. So it just really looks oddly silent. Where one person goes into his window and's like, "Hey, uh, can I review you for this story?" Oh, oh, oh! And then he gets pulled out, and then other wow. person goes, "Yeah, it looks so." See, dumb. and that's what pisses me off because the director's cut, what I saw, like Clerks again, it's just this very simple. Day in the life, you've got a couple slackers, their girlfriends broke up with them, so they're going to go drown their sorrows in the mall. It's nice, it's simple, it's realistic. Like, yeah, it gets very cartoony with Jay and Silent Bob, but it's like, 
you know, but, but the heart of the story is, you know, like the heart of clerks is the day in the life of two clerks working at a convenience store. Mm -hmm. The heart of this is day in the life of two guys going and hanging out at the mall because their girlfriends broke up with them. And And, and that's also like the slacker thing is played up. These guys have no jobs. Of course, they're going to the mall and they don't actually pay for anything. They don't have, all they do is just, well, I mean, that is a theme, you know, in the movie, in the director's cut as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's much more like, it's much more something that a normal person could relate to, whereas like the bullshit sitcommy crap of like, Contrived. oh, oh, the 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 police and the reporters are after him and he paralyzed the mayor. Like that's not something that anybody can relate to, and it's just it it, it kind of ruins it because the whole point of the the slacker comedy and it being the small stuff, like okay, yeah, the. Just like what happens to Caitlin Bree at the end of Clerks is one sort of, it's something that could happen to a real person, but yeah. it's something that you're going to tell stories about for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. The dating game thing, again, it's like not an average day in your life, but it's something that could happen to a real person. Um, so, oh, okay, uh, a thing happens in the, uh, a motif shows up that I see in, in the um, the scene before the movie proper starts and then starts reappearing. And the theme is, and I want to see if you've caught this too, women appearing from the left side of the frame to surprise men. That's so weird. I did not notice that. I Go on. Okay, so the first time this happens is when um, uh, uh, Brendan Fraser's little brother... Um, T.S. Yeah, T.S. Yeah. fucks up the, uh, the whole, you know, deal thing. And then all of a sudden... This uh, goth-looking chick just appears from the left side, like, out of butt-fucking-nowhere, and it goes like, hey, did you do that a thing? Oh, that's anarchy, man, real crazy. And it's delivered so awkwardly, and I was just like, Yeah, that's wow, definitely that not in the... Fud. Okay, yeah. anyway. And then, when they're in the parking lot, there's a scene where um, he, they go like, uh, it's like, yeah, we're gonna go into this mall, and we're gonna, you know, do some cool shit, and da-da-da-da. And then... Uh, T.S. walks ahead of him and Brody kind of like hangs behind because, you know, T- Brody probably said some dumb shit. A girl just, a, a girl with short hair, you know, the really cute, like, girl with short hair just walks up behind uh, Brody and and he just turns around and like, huh? And she just like makes like a sort of like sexy tongue thing. Like, uh-oh, <laughs> Brody might get up to some sexual shenanigans in a second. And I don't then- remember that, but I don't know if I just... Well, yeah. here's the thing. It cuts to the next scene, and they just walk into the mall, and that girl is I, never mentioned yeah. again. I don't remember that. I'm not 100% positive it didn't happen in the director's cut, but I don't remember it. So, but before that happens, before that happens, we get the scene where the dad, of course, finds out that someone, the camera crew's recording him. And, of course, he just happens to have a big-ass shotgun right next to him. So he, he just Because he's the, a dad. Yeah, exactly. So he looks at the camera and goes... Ah, like a fucking video game boss, <laughs> and then grabs the weapon and runs outside. I mean, I also have a shotgun at hand at all times. Little known fact, when a man <laughs> becomes a father, you just have to have a shotgun. You have to have the shotgun you know. dedicated to threatening. Um, so, so, so here's the thing. So he comes out aiming guns at people, and the thing is, I don't know about you, but when someone aims a fucking shotgun at me, I run for my goddamn life. But the reporter comes up to him. You know, first they're like running along the bushes, you know, trying to get out from under there because the guy has a shotgun. But then the reporter goes like, oh, excuse me, and waves the fucking microphone in his face like, what do you have to say about the uh, allegations that your daughter is involved with the shooter of uh, the mayor and da-da-da? And I'm like, 
That this is guy's just got a fucking wow. Gun in your face. What the fuck? This, this is just wow. This none of this makes any sense at all. This just feels so. Now you so, understand how much. Now I understand like, your post. Whoa. I understand why you were saying this was the worst movie you've ever seen. It sounds terrible. I I am sorry, but at this well, you know, I'm not sorry you watched that because I think it's <laughs> you know, if if neither of us had seen that version. And we were just talking about the good version, and then, you know, we had people listening going, but what about that shit with the Confederate reenactment? <laughs> Why aren't they talking about that? So, okay, and now we What's get into- What's this about a cat up an ass? <laughs> so, we got to get talk about this. Trisha Jones, a 15-year-old- Yeah, senior. oh, geez, that was problematic. And this is why I think originally- I think I just like unintentionally did the contrapoints slow down. They're <laughs> problematic. Shout out to contrapoints. <laughs> we got to talk about because this is what made me think that I think originally this was supposed to be about eighteen-year-olds. This is supposed to be like teen sex comedy, and I think they got aged up specifically so that because I'm thinking like, yeah, they're talking a lot about comics and they're talking about like these things, and the way they're handling these situations seem oddly immature. They do seem like high schoolers, but I almost wonder because like. If that's if because the thing is, like Clerks was very clearly about people who were a few years out of high school. Mm -hmm. And this was made to be about people who were in the same graduating class as Dante and Randall. So I don't I think Mm -hmm. they're just so it would have been out of place if they I I think. Yeah, yeah. I think they're just supposed to be immature 22 year olds. But. Mm. Yeah, so the whole thing with Trisha is, like, from the very beginning when Brody's like, yeah, she's 15 and she fucks a bunch of guys and tapes it. And and I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, that's illegal. That's child porn. And then at the very end when it becomes convenient to the plot, then, of course, it's like, oh, she's underage and it's illegal to have sex with her. But but it's not treated as a problem until it becomes convenient for it to be a problem. Here's the thing. It's a gross-out sex comedy. So, And this is the point that I made. I can suspend disbelief for a 15-year-old girl who thinks she's smart, and so she wants to do research on fucking a bunch of guys because she has some pr- repressive the book sexual deal. thing going on. Once, Yeah, once the book deal came in and they're like, well, I'm just going to wait until I'm 18 to publish the book, and so it'll be legal. I'm like, um, you said kids, uh, boys age 14 to 30. So you're 18 and you were screwing 14-year-old boys. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly so what I mean. it was really problematic. What I will say is that I think at least the book deal is unrealistic because it was made it less depressing because having gone look, I went to school in in the middle of nowhere and when I was in 8th grade, all the 13-year-old girls in my class had 30-year-old boyfriends who were knocking them up and you know, it's it happens, it's real, it's depressing, and I think that a 15-year-old girl screwing a bunch of 30-year-old guys, I mean, it's, it's depressing and upsetting enough, but at least having her be like a super successful New York Times bestselling author out of it makes it more of like a weird over-the-top fantasy, whereas... Otherwise, it would just be like too real. This is just gross. I mean, yeah, and it was... I think I think here's the the issue. Someone like Kevin Smith does not know enough about what women, g- girls of that age, go through to understand that that's not just a silly thing. Because that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to make the silly over the top. It's just like a weird single thing. Realize but that it's that like is actually yeah. But like, how many fifteen year old girls are you around exactly. that? you know, are getting exploited and are with older guys who tell them, like, oh, you're so mature and you're just old exactly. for your age and they believe that. So, yeah, it was uh, from somebody who did know a lot of 15-year-old girls who were being exploited in that way. It is um, 
it's depressing and upsetting and uh, said, regardless. I, I wrote down, this is most definitely a guy writing female characters that does not know how to write female characters. It is just mind-bogglingly mishandled. Brandy seemed like the most normal of the female characters in terms of just being a normal person. Renee sometimes made sense and sometimes was like, really, you're you're wooed by a guy taking you to the cheese house? Yeah. Like, it, it, it... Oh, my God. <laughs> the bump uh, when Ben Affleck... So, we're introduced... We're then introduced to Ben Affleck. And I, okay, we later learn that his name is Shannon, which is kind of funny because the character that he's playing opposite is Shannon Doherty, hmm. is played by Shannon Doherty. But yeah, so Shannon, but I, I was writing him as Ben Affleck through most of the movie. <laughs> um, so he, his introduction is, you know, you have the typical, I'm the big bad bravado, you know, bad guy. And I, I bumped into our heroes uh, not seeing them because, you know, and then when I do see them, I'm like, oh. Look at you assholes, you know, you, you guys don't do anything. But the way he bumps into him is so contrived. It, it's such an obvious, okay, we need to do this in one take. Uh, just run into him. You it's, know? <laughs> it's very cartoony. One thing that I do want to shout out that I appreciated just for its sheer weirdness and commitment was um, when they walk into the mall, Brody is holding a really tiny coffee cup, like an espresso cup. And he holds that espresso cup throughout almost the entire movie even though there's no coffee in it it's empty he holds you know, as soon as you say that i'm now remembering that that he, was true <laughs> he holds on to an empty espresso cup through almost the entire movie and it's like you know i okay. i want to i want to appreciate that because i i remember uh somebody was talking about um Suicide Squad and how bad Suicide Squad was and one of the examples they pointed out was that at one point uh one of the the Australian it was the am Ronald I Robbie? No 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 the the guy who's Australian and he's like a oh, hitman uh, Captain Boomerang Yeah Captain Boomerang yeah, No the name is as stupid as you thought it was Yeah Cap <laughs> Captain Boomerang puts a stuffed animal in his coat yeah. and then later he gets shot in the place where he put the stuffed animal and then he pulls out a lot of money and it's like why wasn't that the stuffed animal that you put in there mm -hmm. and so i do want to like for all that this movie apparently got mangled and had some really toned up choices that tiny coffee cup that little empty espresso cup that brody holds on to for the entire movie for no reason even though it gets very inconvenient for him you know i i want to shout out that espresso cup okay. i think that yeah. i appreciated it i i think as you bring that up there was a point that i wanted to get to later but i think we should talk about it now the, I, I feel like there is a message of anti-commercialism in this film that got wiped out. Mm. And I, I see it in little things, especially in the third act of the movie, where, because think about the premise. The conceit of this film is, uh, the premise of the film is, two guys drown their problems with capitalism. Except, <laughs> They well, go to a mall yeah. in order to feel better about the fact that they just got broken up with. And what is the the, the dating show? It's mm -hmm. let's exploit people's, you know, relationships. Well, but the other I, thing, you know and I mean? this is interesting, the other thing is that they are not buying things at the mall. Yeah. They're just hanging out at hanging it. Out there. And one thing that Ben Affleck, yes. that Shannon, what he uses against them is you're not working and you're not shopping. You are mm -hmm. not... You're not You're earning useless money. useless to society. You're not earning money. You're not spending money. Therefore, you are useless. So there very is an, an anti-capitalist message. And, and if you notice, the only time the word mall rats is ever used is by Ben Affleck negatively. Right. He's like, you fucking mall rats come around here and you don't do shit. And, and then at the end of the, uh, later on in the film, he says, oh, yeah, that, it's that fucking mall rat. And I was just like, huh, that's interesting. 
why did uh, Kevin Smith only write someone saying the word Mallrat in a negative context? You know what I'm saying? Well, and in I, terms of you are useless to us, so we don't give a shit about you. Well, because I think that I, I think that if characters had been like, yeah, we're mall rats, we're reclaiming, <laughs> we're proud of it, it would have been a little well, bit too I, on the nose. Because the thing is, like, they're not proud of it; they're just doing what they do. They're just being themselves. Well, the thing is, I didn't think the word was used at all. I thought uh, it was just like a, you know, like the name of the movie, but it doesn't actually appear. There is a there's a title. There's definitely a title drop moment, and it is. I think there's something about Kevin Smith's ethos. I mean, in Clerks, you know, the like clerks I, are constantly getting shit on for being clerks yeah. in Mall Rats. At least They're by one character, being, you know. they get shit on for being mall rats. And I think that there is something, there. there's a pattern in Kevin Smith's oeuvre of looking at, it's like these people who are looked down upon for being unsuccessful, mm-hmm. not contributing, not succeeding in, in capitalism. You know, and it's interesting for us looking at this because we're not Gen Y, we're not the slacker generation, mm-hmm. we're millennials. And for us... We're just overworked all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, I graduated college in 2009. I Early 2009. I graduated college right after one of the worst economic crashes in recent memory. And I remember nobody in my graduating class, nobody my age was doing anything that was more than, like, bottom tier minimum wage work. Not because we didn't want to, but because that was what was available. And I remember the first time when I was, like, 23 and somebody my age said something about getting a job in an office where she had to wear a pencil skirt and i was like what <laughs> and it was and it was like a dentist office receptionist job and i was shocked um because everybody that i knew was like waiting tables or a barista or you know or working retail um so for us you know i think especially for like the people who who graduated at the same time as me um being in a low wage job was not a choice it was the best we could do um not having any money was not a choice not moving out of our parents house was not a choice it was like we're stuck with this because the economy is shit and so for this generation whereas it was theoretically more of a choice of like oh you're choosing to just work as a clerk you're choosing to live in your mom's basement um and it's a different thing, and we talked about this somewhat in the last episode about learned helplessness, mm. but I think there's something kind of depressing about it when it's a choice, mm. when it's not like this is the best you can do, but like you could do more. Not but you're not going to be not you necessi- have the motivation. Yeah, not necessarily like capitalist, you know, like being a hedge fund manager, but like, yeah, you could be going out and like making art or I you mean, could maybe- be – you like comic books? Why not work on some comic books? And you know, Brody like, and Brody does end up owning a comic book store in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. We yeah, see him owning yeah. Brody's secret stash. We but, see his character actually sort of develop. Right. There's something that he was saying about the slacker generation, and it wasn't a condemnation, and it wasn't a celebration exactly. But but Shannon Doherty's character saying that like there are people out there doing great things, and what are what am I doing? I'm fucking some loser who lives in his mom's basement. Mm. There's there's something of the pathos of that we could be doing more. Mm. We could be doing better. Um that 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 put an interesting note into the into the music of Mall Rats. So let let's talk about the infamous scene. Uh the the, the, the sailboat. Oh the sailboat, yeah. I Did you actually pause the movie uh, to see what it was? 
I didn't know. Did you? Yeah, because I, I, I tell you a little something about me. I used to love those. The seeing eye games? Oh, yeah. What is it? That's a dog, a seeing eye dog. What are they called? The magic eye. Yeah, the magic eyes. Those were so fucking cool to me because it was like, this was before, you know, we really had like 3D imagery. as. Like, oh, yeah. I had, I had like, th- I had a, like a book of I had 3D reptiles. Book. Yeah. I had, I had 3D reptiles and I, you put on oh, the little glasses man. and there was a frog jumping out of you. <laughs> so like, you know, um... I actually, yeah, if you look at it, it is not a sailboat. It's just a bunch of random images. There's like three little ridge, there's like uh, four ridged bumps at the bottom of it. And like, there's a plus sign at the top left and a star at the top right. Are you sure though? Are you sure you're just not relaxing your eyes? No, no, I actually did. Because I, I I, there's different points that you can relax your eyes that make you see different versions of the things, which Uh is what's kind of cool. Um... But it's basically the same. And there are circles, but the circles are, like, they're circles, but with shapes that kind of look sort of MC Escherish, which, in which they kind of, like, you know, exploit the, the 3D image of, like, part of it sticking out at you and part of it's going back like this. So it's like, oh, that is kind of cool. So, no, officially, it is not a sailboat. That's crazy. <laughs> I want to talk about Willem. Okay. So Willem is a character in Clerks and Mallrats. And Mallrats and Clerks are set within days of each other. I think Mallrats is set like two or three days before. I think it's supposed to be like the day before, wasn't it? It's like the day before Clerks because Julie Dwyer dies right at the beginning of Mallrats or like the night before Mallrats takes place. Yeah, that's and then the thing her, that connects And then her funeral is the day of Clerks. So it's set within a couple days of each other. Uh, so in Clerks, uh, Willem, a.k.a. Snowball, is played by Viewerskew producer Jeff Mosier. In Mallrats, he's played by Ethan Supley. Um, I might be saying his last name wrong, but he's played by an actor, Ethan Supley. Um, So obviously he looks different because he's played by two different actors, but he also acts really different. Mm -hmm. Mallrats is set the day before Clerks or a day or a day or two before Clerks. In Mallrats, Willem is very angry. Yeah. He's he's very angry because he can't see the sailboat uh, in the Magic Eye game. And he constantly like is screaming at people mm-hmm. and being very intimidating yeah, and in the, threatening. In, the, in Clerks, Scott Mojo's character is so like chilled out. He's and in Clerks, right. In Clerks, he is so chill um, to the point that he, uh, you know, and again, we mentioned this in Clerks, a spoiler for Clerks for the next couple seconds. Mm. He ends up somehow in the ambulance at the end with Caitlin Bree and the boner corpse. <laughs> so I so Willem like not only looks different, but like acts like a completely different person, yet it's very clearly the same person. His name's yeah. Willem. Um and so it's interesting to me that I, I it's like something with that sailboat broke him and turned him into the very chill person that he is. It's like it's like he got he figured it out. It's like he got so because they do say in the in the end. Oh, it's such a good moment, right? It, actually, it almost made me forgive the movie. It was like a Breakfast Club riff. Yeah, or like am I thinking of, of them Animal were House? Bad, like Animal, yeah, animal House, you, right? So and so ended up doing this. So and so dated this person, and they broke up. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and when he and it says and it's it's funny because it it's not even a voiceover. It just says it in. <laughs> captions that says Willem finally saw the sailboat and he, he looks saw it he eventually. Goes, he goes yeah <laughs> and then it's like it's like you just know that like on his way out of the mall that day he saw the sailboat that sailboat broke his brain Something and was he, important. he achieved nirvana the sailboat that wasn't there <laughs> yeah he saw yeah he saw a sailboat that wasn't real but and everybody else was saying oh a sailboat dude maybe he's got, he went insane maybe because 
Dude, he went insane thinking he could see the sailboat. Oh my god! All right, so let's get let's get back to the movie. Okay. I'm about to go on a yes. tangent now. All right, so we got to talk about Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, the so- savior Kevin Smith. I wrote on Twitter, uh, either on Facebook or Twitter. I was like, Kevin Smith was blessed by God herself the day he came up with Jay and Silent Bob because, oh, my God, if they were not in this movie, and, this would have fucking failed. And, and I'm reading right now, like, rereading uh, My Boring Ass Life and the Me and My Shadow segment where he talks about, like, meeting Jason Mewes. He didn't even really, like, he was just like, oh, my friend Jason's really, really funny. I want to put him in a movie. I'm just going to write him as he is and have him be himself on screen. And that's just Jay. Jay just is Jason Mewes. Um <laughs> And then, and then apparently, Kevin Smith wrote the role of Randall for himself, uh, which is interesting because I had mentioned that Dante, you know, physically looks more like Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he wrote Randall for himself, and then realized he could not pull off that role, which mm. I, you know, I'm really glad he uh, did. Yes. Because like Jeff Anderson is just so perfect. <laughs> well, that's see, that's I, your. He's not in the movie, but this is your mini thirst corner. That's my thirst. We'll get to your thirst corner in a minute. We we have to wait for oh the boy. moment, but yeah. But, but so Jeff Jeff Anderson's perfect. But anyway, so Kevin Smith realized he couldn't pull off Randall and was like, "Well, I'll be I'll be Jay's muscle who doesn't talk because I don't really have to talk there." And then it sort of um, developed. And then like it that. turned into the thing. It was like, yeah. and with even with Mallrats, he wasn't thinking of like, "Oh yeah, I'm building the Jay and Silent Bob brand." It was just like, "Oh, I I want to put Jason in this movie again." And let's have funny. him do some crazy silly shit. Yeah. And, oh my God, is he the the shot in the arm that this movie needs? He is introduced banging on the. I kitten. just love that. Like the first thing we see <laughs> is like cute little kittens and Jay being like kitty 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 and like banging on the wall <laughs> trying to get the cats in the pet store to react to him. Also, it did make me think that, like, at least again in the director's cut, um, the first thing we hear in the movie is this story about the pet shop and cats and Cousin Walter buying cats to stick up his ass. And then we see these cute little kittens. (laughs) So it kind of like if you saw that version of the movie, like that almost pops into your head involuntarily of like, oh, no, they're going to end up in Cousin Walter's ass. And and it is funny how like. Except he's dead. <laughs> the flanderization of Jay's character. Because he used he, to be like a, a stoner fuck who sold, you know, he just sold weed and he was like, like you're, you're not. He, and then he, they all, they become superheroes. They become comic book yeah. characters. <laughs> and it's insane. And it, 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 But I like it. It's in sort of like a. This it's a is good flanderization. We, this is what me and my friend would want to do if we, you know, had our own movie. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and I think that's really cool. And Jay's delivery of every. Like, uh, dude, so I love that he. In this movie I so love that he. He bad. says, <laughs> I love that he sees TS and says that and immediately calls him the mad fat chick killer <laughs> because it also tells you it's like that again. And we talked about this with clerks, that small town thing of everybody knowing everybody's business mm. because, you know, this is literally hours. This is l- probably less than 24 hours after TS makes a comment to Julie Dwyer that the camera adds 10 pounds and she's been dead right, for, right. you know, probably less than 12 hours. <laughs> And imme- and already TS is known to somebody who was not directly involved as the mad fat chick killer. No, this is again. I see the good movie that this was supposed to be. I see how he. I saw make the good his. movie this was supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the decent movie. I mean, I I can understand there are still like quibbles that you might have, and and I uh, don't think it's brilliant. I don't think it's Clerks. Like they're but acting. man, the movie I saw was so much better than the movie you saw. Dude, their acting is still like. I can handle the acting in Clerks because it seems like it seemed real. But when you're making a really broad comedy and you want to have, like, you want to have the broad comedy and Clerks? 
Clerks I, doesn't work with I don't, comedy. I don't think that um, – I don't – yeah, I think that – I really think that that first half hour colored it for you because yeah, yeah. It you know the acting so much of the energy of the film yeah because the acting's not great but frankly I thought the acting in this was better than the acting in Chasing Amy even okay. uh, well it's I don't know it's hard to tell with some of Kevin Smith's early movies it's really hard to separate out the dialogue from the dialogue from the acting yeah, yeah, yeah because the dialogue it's not that it's bad but it's not natural yeah and so if you're looking for naturalness like there's only so much an actor can do mm-hmm. with dialogue that is not something that a human being would say in real life yeah but Jason Muse he is like beyond normal acting He's, he is a character that just came from the stars to entertain oh us. yeah so Jason Muse is four years younger than Kevin Smith and they met when Muse was like. Eight, like an eight, uh, well, they they met like when Muse was a teenager, basically, and Kevin Smith was in his early twenties, and he was like, "Oh, who's this annoying kid tagging around all the time?" And then he says he was at a rec, he was at the rec center. Jason Muse came in, busted in the door, didn't look at anybody, like didn't wasn't looking at anybody to get a reaction. Was it? He just walked in the door and immediately started filleting everything. In the room. Like, anything that was remotely phallic, he just started pretending to suck off. And then... Why was he doing And then he eventually... I don't know. And then he eventually went up to, like, a video game machine, like an arcade machine, and it didn't have, like, a joystick or anything phallic on it, and he looked at it for a minute, and then he started working it like he was eating pussy. And... (laughs) Well, that explains Jay and Silent Bob Strike right. Back, that scene. Well, and and none of this was, and this is when he was like 16, 17 years old. Wow. And none of this was um, him like looking around like, oh, look what I'm doing, guys. He was just doing it. He just and Kevin Smith said, that. And Kevin Smith said this is when he knew like, okay, this, this I can be friends with this guy. So, oh, my God. Yeah, so that is Jason Mewes. Like, and that's the thing is like Jay really is just – Kevin Smith, like, this is my friend. He's really crazy and funny. I'm going to write him into this movie. So, so, and, and I love how, like, basically they get Jay and Silent Bob to plot on how to ruin the, the dating show. Right. Jay and Silent Bob go from being sort of a Greek chorus, like, the, you know, the, the, the guys who are the Greek chorus that doesn't say anything, right? They, they they go from that to being a really intricate, integral part of the plot, yeah, because. They, you know, have batarangs. And did you see the part where he literally feels their dicks right before he leaves? I missed that. (laughs) I'm upset that I missed that. There's such little, like, homo, like, uh... I know, again, it's like every... This is driving me crazy because, like, everything you say that I don't remember, I'm going, did I miss it or is it not in the version I saw? (laughs) Yeah, you have the Baron's name. I don't remember that. that, but, um... That's but that's enjoyable and it's quite possible. I mean, it might have gotten cut. And and it's so funny too because because Jay is perfect. He literally goes like, "All right, cocksmokers, you know, some shit like that." And he just goes pop pop. It's just like, dude, I, what the fuck? Oh, maybe <laughs> maybe I missed that and I didn't even register it oh, as like because a f- right before he does it, he's like, "Oh, sorry," but it's like right before he does it, he says, "Hey, man, show the fucking little kitty some love. Show you got some heart, bro." And you know, Kevin's been going like. Oh, I do. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. That bit so was it's just like show some love to the kittens and then feel your friend's dicks. Like what the fuck? Yeah, I, I, do, I think I didn't register it as him feeling them. I, I uh. and okay. So now, then we get to the part with, of course, because it's a Kevin Smith movie, we have to have a scene where they talk about comic books mm-hmm. or, or something nerdy. 
And the dialogue is even more dumbed down. But as Stan Lee's cameo came in later on, I kind of felt like maybe there was a purpose to it. But as the dialogue was happening, it was just like, you know, the original movie, as we discussed, was about workers and how the nerd stuff related to what they were saying about, you know, people in real life, how you value your work, how you value your job. This one is purely just, hey, uh, would Superman have to wear a kryptonite condom because he'd rip through his girlfriend's pussy, you know? So the thing that's, all right, I'm assuming that Kevin Smith, I'm assuming that Kevin Smith came up with the Jedi, I'm assuming that Kevin Smith came up with the argument in Clerks about the workers, workers, right? But the whole thing about Superman's dick and the that is literally from a 1969 essay called Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex. What? Yeah, literally that whole argument about how, like, Superman would have fucked Lois to death because of his Kryptonian dick and sperm. And, you know, it is literally an essay from 1969. (laughs) Yeah. And, of course, it's from 1969. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex is a 1969 essay in which science fiction author Larry Niven details the problems that Superman would face in sexual intercourse and reproduction with a human woman. Wow. So that, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, like... I mean, there was someone who was already obsessed with Superman's now, penis. Now, here, well, I mean, it's stuff you think about, but like, yeah. here's the thing. So it's obscure. Like, obviously, you had never heard of the essay. Mm. It's obscure enough that I think it's one of those things that, like, an author, like a, a novelist or a screenwriter, somebody who works in some popular medium, hears about an obscure thing, like an obscure mm. bit of science or historical yeah, trivia yeah. or a bit of philosophy or something or other, and they reference it in a book or a movie that a lot of people read, and then all of a sudden, and it's like, oh, that's cool, and then you start seeing and hearing it everywhere, and I'm hard-pressed mm. to think of a good example at the moment. I feel like um, like Tesla kind of became... Like Nikola Tesla kind of became a yeah, pop culture figure this internet. way yeah, because yeah. it was like one or two people were like, hey, have you heard like about Nikola Tesla? Pole. It's yeah. like one or two people were like, hey, have you heard of Nikola Tesla? And then all of a sudden everybody's fucking talking about Nikola Tesla. So I will say that – but the first person to do that, the first person to be like, hey, here's this cool thing you might not have heard of and bring it into the popular consciousness, I don't think is is doing anything wrong. So I mm-hmm. don't think that the fact that – it no, was a 1969 essay. I don't think that's a mark against Kevin Smith. I, oh, oh, okay. I see what you're saying. You know, I don't think it's bad that he was, you know, that it's not a completely original idea. No, I think that's kind of clever. I it, like the it idea. Is, of, it like, is kind of cool. I Yeah, I guess I just didn't know how to. That makes me appreciate it a little bit more, honestly, because I'm like, oh, this wasn't just a cheap, jo- gross-out humor. It was like, actually, this is based in something, something that people that, are talking it's about. It's something that nerds have been discussing for decades. Yeah. Um, And then, so, and now I'm actually appreciating that more, but then there's this weird thing where, like, Brody's character is really obsessed with capitalism. And it doesn't make sense to I me because... I don't he, remember that. That might have been like, shoehorned in. There's one or two dialogues where he... he one or two uh, bits of dialogue where he'll go like, ah, you know, the, the American capital or whatever. And it's obviously meant to be like over the top, like... Oh, oh you know, maybe I, I do remember that and I didn't... Like, I just registered as him being an obnoxious slacker. Yeah, it, you know? like a Randall line. Like, that's what it sounds like. Like, if Randall had said that, it would have, like, I know he's being disaffected youth. But with him, the delivery wasn't as good. So I'm like, 
okay, it actually seems like he might actually have a thing. And it's like, but it doesn't make sense because, like I said, he doesn't have a job and he doesn't have money. So uh, why is this a thing? It's not comic books. He's specifically obsessed with the idea of, like, commerce and buying and selling and that sort of thing. That's why he likes going to the mall. Like, that's what the direct thing is. And I find it interesting, later on in the movie... They go to a flea, uh, flea mall. Right, the dirt mall. Yeah, yeah. Which and I, think I, I that had an interesting a, contrast. That it's that interesting because so the dirt mall looks exactly like uh, where I grew up outside of Savannah, Georgia. There is a, um, it's called Keller's Flea Market, and it it's the dirt mall. It's like you go there and you can buy animals that are probably not legal to buy. Um, <laughs> Wait, really? You can buy like there's there's airbrushing. Like you ever see like a like a fluorescent unicorn with a naked chick riding yeah, it on somebody's yeah, yeah, yeah. van that's where you go to get that done but i forgot that they also went to another mall and like what is i had forgotten they bring that, that up, too because you know? i remembered the psychic yeah and it was like she doesn't seem like she'd be in this place right. and then i'd forgotten that they do go to the the flea market and it, flea market yeah and then they make she makes the joke about like oh you know um something something records in association with this warns me to tell you that and i was like wait but that sounds like big business talk. Wouldn't that be in the main mall? You know, would, that wouldn't be in the flea market, would yeah, it? Yeah, that was like a weird, like, yeah, there were some things that didn't feel quite ironed out. Yeah, yeah. and um, But but also, given the amount of studio interference there was, like, I that's think. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's hard to tell what, you know, maybe there was a line that explained. I've, I've heard, I, I've seen, I've read enough crack articles to know mm-hmm. that there are a lot of movies where there will be, like, a line that explains some of the biggest plot holes and they just got cut out. And, you know, the studio execs figured nobody would miss it. So, so there's another scene where um, uh, Brody confronts his ex to go, like, you know, why are you treating me like this, da, da, da. And she lays out some of the bullshit that he's done like you made me do this you made me do that and then there's a scene which is like you made me strip tease to uh you know josie and the pussycats or something like that and he looks what what looks like a reaction to the camera but his eyes are slightly off so it doesn't actually look like he's looking at us and he does the sort of <laughs> what are you gonna oh, do yeah shrug? yeah his little his little mugging during that whole thing was like who are you doing this for that was very weird like yeah. that was a weird it was a weird acting choice and it was a weird directorial choice to keep it well this, this is what i was thinking like all throughout this film i kept thinking like if you would have just added like a little old lady Next to her, next to them shopping while she says, "You made me so he, for you while doing so this." So he has somebody to react to. Exactly, that works better. But here is just like, what is what's happening? And then it was like he was doing it for himself, but like, it di- yeah, it didn't didn't really work. And then when he comes up and smacks, uh, I've forgotten about this. He's uh, Jason looks fucking psychopathic. In in some of these shots, like I understand he's supposed to be disaffected youth. He doesn't give a shit. Like with Randall character, he does stuff that's like anti, you know, of uh, uh, social or whatever. But he like smacks the fifteen year old chicks. Yeah, I down. noticed that. Yeah, like, like what the hell was that was, about? Yeah, he, I think that um, I think that he was not calibrated correctly yeah, because yeah. you know it, he was. Yeah, I, I feel like they, there were just a few things that were a little bit. Just, he should have been a little. Sake of... He should have been a little bit more charming and roguish, and a little bit less. Gro- or I think he was in- not should have been like whatever. Who's to say what should have been? But I feel like he was intended 
to be a little bit more charmingly roguish than he actually yeah. came off. And I feel like the fact that this was originally, I feel, supposed to be a way more over-the-top movie maybe would have made that work more. But like I said, he's still trying to do the down-to-earthness characters of Clerks. But you can't have down-to-earth characters in this really broad comic book movie. In, in a, you know, in the saturated colors, and you exactly. literally have characters, like, climbing on the ceilings with grappling hooks yeah. in a mall, like... Um, and, oh, oh, and I forgot to mention, oh, uh, uh, the fi- the 15-year-old girl who's been with 50 guys, you know, the number got bigger, you know what I'm saying? Remember yeah. in the last movie it was 37, now it's 50. Yeah. You know, and it's like, what is Ke- with Kevin Smith's obsession with the amount of people <laughs> that a woman has had sex with? I, like, well, and it's, again, it's really troubling that it's a 15-year-old because even say it was like, maybe like one guy a week. So was she 14 when she started? Like, yeah. I think we should mention LaFours at this point because LaFours is very much – so LaFours is like the head security guard who is after – like he seems to be somehow in the pocket of Brandy's father who's running the game show. And by the way, like, yeah, the game show is happening at the mall. Um, in the director's cut, you don't find this out until they get to the mall and somebody mentions that they're setting up for the game show. Mm. Um so we don't, you know, but it's, again, it's like you can just trust the audience like, oh, okay, the dating show is being filmed at the mall. Okay, I don't need a giant over-the-top explanation for that. Just tell me. Yeah, actually, now it doesn't make sense because if he knew at the beginning that the dating show was happening, the scene where it gets revealed in when they actually go to the mall where he gets hit over the head like, whoa, what's going on here? And they're trying to figure it out. It's like, wait, well, doesn't yeah. TS already know that there's a game show happening in the mall? Yeah. But again, that's that's a plot yeah, of so. the bad editing. But okay, now we've got to get to Thirst Corner. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, real Ooh. quick, real oh. quick. So oh, just yeah. Lafours. Lafours is the head security guard who is in the pocket of Papa Brandy. I can't remember. Yeah, he, he's the Cohen Brothers type of uh, you know the silent badass. Right. He shit, he yeah. never he never says a word. He's scary. He's corrupt. Uh, and he and he is a very comic book type villain. Okay, so mm-hmm. Thirst Corner. Thirst away, my friend. Oh my God, we've got to talk about Miss Joey Lauren Adams. Mm, mm, mm. Yo, I forgot that you just get to see her naked. Like, I, <laughs> it just, like, I was so, like, cause you know, I'm going into this film, I'm like, you know my girl. Like, I fucking, she is gorgeous to me. I love her voice. And then, I, it was just, what? Like, the scene just shows up, and I'm just like, huh? Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Oh, yeah. Several times because. (laughs) And and I feel so bad, but I'm just like, I'm sorry, but she's really hot. No, and there's the recurring gag of, you know, her getting busted in on when she's changing in a changing room and then giving up on changing rooms. So you can see a lot of her. And that's the thing. It actually pays off. It pays off. It's not just it's not just a dumb one, two, three gag. Like it pays off in a yeah. And that was good Kevin Smith. In because, context. Yeah, it happens to her twice. And then when the um when Brody and TS come in and she's like putting on underwear in, in the place, and I'm like, why is she doing that? What's going on? And he's like, Well, when you've been busted in on twice, you're kind of just saying fuck it. And I was like, that was really good. That was Kevin Smith writing right there, and I could you could taste it. Joey Lauren Adams plays two characters in the Viewers Universe. She plays mm-hmm. that character. Uh, Gwen, she also plays, uh, you know, uh, Alyssa from Chasing Amy. 
And Alyssa at one point mentions having a threesome with Gwen on prom night. <laughs> so Man. just two Joey oh, Lauren no. Adamses. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, you just du- you just doubled the thirst corner, bro. I think I need to take five. <laughs> well, let's. There's twins. What? Yeah. Uh, well, there, yeah. And, 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 I mean, like people that look alike. And I'm like, and, and as I was watching the scene, like I was like, I almost feel like this scene was put here. Specifically for me, as I was <laughs> suffering through this unedited version of this film, as if Kevin Smith would just be like, "Look, man, I know this is bad." Here's, <laughs> here's some Joey I Lauren Adams. Like Joey Lauren us. Adams. Let <laughs> 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 me just try to say, and then we'll get back to the. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's no, just, please. There's corporate chicanery at the top. My bad. Look, it, it, here's my hot girlfriend for a couple of seconds. But the thing is, it's like whereas at first I was like. Oh shit, of course I want to see Joey Lauren Adams naked. Yeah, I'm not opposed to this. The way her character was treated as if she was just the slut character started to weigh on me. Mm. It's the same way like fucking Harley Quinn was treated in the Suicide Squad movie. Yeah. Where it was like fucking like, yes, I get it. Harley Quinn and by extension fucking Margot Robbie is absolutely gorgeous. You don't need to have the stupid fucking moment in the movie where she's putting on her clothing over her bra and everyone stops and stares at her. It's like, we know she's hot, dude. Don't insult my fucking intelligence. Well, you know yeah, I mean? and in that case, it's like you you can't forget that she's hot because she's not wearing clothing throughout <laughs> exactly. the movie. But, um, but the thing with Gwen is she's not treated badly for being slutty, but she is somewhat, she's like the cool girl. She's the mm. cool girl. She is, you know, very like sexually open and active. She's the perfect she's, version of the cool girl. She's very yeah. cool. Uh, we find out that she and TS dated, but she's totally like, you know, chill with giving him dating advice. And she like. And kissing Brody on the cheek. And like, she. That was oddly she, matronly the way she treated the end of that. Well, I, I've known girls who are like very close to a real life version of the cool girl who also like just kissing okay, people platonically okay. on the cheek. It's, it's a thing, but yeah, no, I, I feel like she was somewhat not one dimensional, but sort of someone's idea of this, the perfect ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. She's the perfect cool exactly. ex-girlfriend um, who is there to, who is there to tell your girlfriend how much she should appreciate. Right. It. Cause that scene happens next. Oh, oh this is what I was talking about. Oh, uh, uh, we broke up. This is the whole contrivance. Um, uh, you're, Brody, you're just, I mean, no, T.S., uh, yeah, T.S. and Joey dated in high school, and the reason why they broke up is because she had sex with, like, a dude on Halloween in the costume, and of course, you know, of course everyone remembers it, but she goes like, oh, how could you remember a silly thing like that? Why did you treat that like it's a big deal? And it's like, you, you had sex with someone else in a public place where friends saw it, like, it did feel a little bit like they were trying to paint her character in a certain way at the expense of all common sense yeah and and then the line about so again we have another we have another parallel with the first film about someone rand a story about someone they know randomly becoming gay there's a scene where Brody goes like, oh, you should, you know, seize the day, have sex with whoever you want. That's what my grandmother always told me. Of course, she became a lesbian on her 60th birthday. Oh, yeah. Like, like, I I uh... didn't make that connection between that and, like, because I, I assume you're remembering, like, the guys in the story in Clerks that accidentally hooked up at the party yeah, and then yeah. are now married. 
Yeah. It, and I was like, fuck dick and fart jokes. People always people always say, oh, Kevin Smith's dick and fart jokes. You can't stop talking about homosexuality. There's a lot of gay jokes. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, and I think like with that, it was kind of like 90s adolescent thing of uh, like, oh, lesbians are scandalous and titillating mm. and grandmas are not scandalous and titillating and therefore grandma being a lesbian is like automatically funny. Yeah. Whereas it's like, lesbians existed 80 years ago. <laughs> like, lesbians um, are not a new invention. But now we got to get to my boy, and and I'm sure yours as well, Buttman himself, Ben Affleck. First of all, I just got to say, it, I don't know dick about style, but fashionable male, bro, size that fucking I'm shit down a couple. See, that shit see, was hanging off of you, my see, dude. See, I'm sitting there, like, I'm sitting there going, was that just the 90s? Like, was wearing a suit that looked like it was made for a man who weighs 100 pounds more than you fashion? <laughs> was that, like... And, and, okay, so the line where he says, um, Brody says, like, oh, he looks like a date rapist. He says this right after basically kidnapping her to get her into the elevator. Like, what the fuck was that Yeah. About? And the way it was shot was so, like, this didn't look like, like, how was she supposed to know who was grabbing her he and throwing did, her in lucky, an elevator? He's lucky he didn't get, like, like, throat, like yeah, throat punched or something. <laughs> so, yeah, so the elevator scene, again, is problematic. And really <laughs> tonally off because and then they have sex in the elevator. They have sex in the elevator, uh, well, so it's kind of like, it's one of those things. It was a very 90s movie thing of the, like, he go, you know, she says he doesn't have a libido, and he goes, no libido, and tackles her. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that results in hot sex, great, but if she had not been into that, that would have been a really pretty violent yeah. sexual assault. Like, you literally pushed her into an elevator and then forced yourself on her. Like, look at looking at that objectively, you would probably be seeing some jail time. Yeah, it's a, and it just so happens that she's into it, but he has no way of knowing that she's yeah. into it. Yeah, there's there's stuff that doesn't age and then really he has well. A, and then he has a line where he says, I got a, um, uh, T.S. says, I got a musket caught in my girlfriend's hair. And he says that a okay, couple of lines. See I'm that, like, okay, this see, is obviously, no... Obviously, that was not in the director's cut because yeah. he didn't get a musket oh, caught in her oh, hair. Oh, wow. So that, that was, that was not, completely cut out. Oh, because... he says that a couple of yeah, times. No, because there was nothing about a musket. Like, she wow. literally... No, see, and this is so stupid and it's frustrating because in the director's cut... Brandy breaks up with T.S. for the reason that breakups happen in real life. There was an right. argument, and she felt like his side of the argument was reflecting a larger problem about his mm. attitude towards her. And, that you know, that's why breakups in real life don't happen because somebody did, unless it's like, you know, cheating or... It's not or, a comical misunderstanding. Right. In, in real life, you don't, like, break up with your boyfriend because he, like accidentally killed your goldfish you break up with your boyfriend because he says one wrong thing to you and then you think back and you go you know actually asshole this is a pattern with you and you're always doing this kind of thing and it's you know it's much more realistic to have her go oh see you're being a dick to me because i'm trying to help out my father and this is just like you and you're always doing this rather than oh you got a musket caught in my hair on a rooftop while you were being a confederate reenactor what (laughs) you know when you put it like that this sounds really fucking stupid (laughs) it's really fucking like i'm offended i haven't even seen this shit and i'm offended so but and and, and is he so he says i got a musket caught in my girlfriend's hair that's his oh woe is me that's his i'm not even supposed to be here today yeah i got a musket caught in my girlfriend's hair is no i'm not supposed to be here today because it's not something that like (laughs) 
Like, and and so when I when I saw that line, like as I started to realize, like the way this movie shot feels like and I said this at one point is like this feels like an unmovie. Like they specifically shot things to look like yeah, a movie would have an establishing shot to show this, but we didn't do that. And it was just like it feels almost punk rock in a way. After a while, it's just like you guys like, are just refusing to make a movie <laughs> that looks good. And, it's, it's weird, no, because so in the director's <laughs> cut. Um, T.S. does not have a line that is equivalent to I'm not supposed to be here today. He doesn't – he does, like, complain, but it's not, like, a refrain that he has. What What's actually interesting is that what happens to T.S. is not that he's always saying the same thing, but that other people are constantly saying, like, oh, hey, I heard you were going to propose to yeah, your girlfriend in yeah. Florida and she broke up with you. Oh, hey, you killed that fat girl. Like, oh, hey. You know, like, mm. other people are constantly coming. He's not saying anything. Other people are constantly – People telling you who you are, basically. Right. You're the and, guy who does and, this. And so that's – This defines you. Right. And you to know? me that's interesting because it's different from Clerks in that way. Like, you know, Dante's constantly bemoaning his own lot. T.S. – if we're going to compare it to having Dante. identities pushed upon him. Right. TS is is just sort of like a little ping pong ball being buffeted <laughs> around by the rumor mill. That was a terrible mixed metaphor. No, that, that, um, that was all right. <laughs> but by the rumor ping pong players. <laughs> by the rumor ping pong mill. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, but, but so the way that I saw the scene with the elevator was like, yeah, okay, the, the um, Brody tackling Renee is very problematic, but the structure of the scene is pretty good because we get them arguing inside the elevator and then the confusion and the mounting crowd gathering outside of the elevator and cutting back and forth. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of in Clerks when um, Randall and Dante go to the funeral and then you see like people lining up outside, but it's a little more gradual. It's a little more realistic. Yeah, so, so structurally um, that scene is actually like pretty good Kevin Smith you know, we're you getting, just have to go through that contrivance in order to get there. Like, he's supposed to be this charming rogue, but instead he's just kind of gross. And yeah, this is just the stuff a bad person does. Like, what, right. it's not over the top enough. Yeah. That's what it is. It's not over the top enough. It just, like, smacking someone's book down, yeah, I could see an asshole bully doing something like that. Yeah, like, what? Well, like why would he do that? What did that girl do to you? Nothing. Yeah, like, like you, could you, just went, you just went and smacked a 15-year-old girl. What's wrong with you? Like, you could very easily reframe this movie to make him look like the bad guy of the film <laughs> yeah now i do want to touch on shannon i don't want to touch on shannon i want to <laughs> uh so on on ben affleck's character um this was something that i i found again just things that don't necessarily age well is ben affleck um first of all like his character is just very much like i'm a bad guy i think his per um, i think ben affleck does the best he can do with what he was given. Oh, yeah. I don't blame Ben Affleck for this. Yeah, um, I think he's did an incredible job. The dialogue is him just essentially saying, I am a bad guy. Because he... It was he, so perfect. So, it's the best villain dialogue well, so, delivered by him. Right. So he, so he beats Brody up for, you know, like, seducing slash assaulting yeah, yeah. <laughs> Renee. I mean, honestly, in an elevator. no, but like... You could really easily reframe that scene and be like, yeah, I'm beating the shit out of you because yeah. you fucking kidnapped right. my so, girlfriend. So here's the thing. I don't think he's awful for beating up Brody. I think Brody <laughs> kind of deserved that. But here's the thing that, that gets me is that there's this recurring kind of gag that starts here where Ben Affleck's character, where Shannon says he's going to fuck Renee in a very uncomfortable place. <laughs> And Brody, was it, is it, is oh, no. it? T Wait, allow me to quote. Okay. You see, Bruce, I like to pick up girls on the rebound from disappointing relationships. They're vulnerable and fairly open to suggestion. 
And I used that suggestion to fuck them in some place very uncomfortable. And it's just like, oh my God. And then is it You T- are just the villain. Is it like, just so Is it Brody or TS who goes the like in the back of a Volkswagen? Oh my God, it, that dumb joke. It's a dumb joke, but also, so here's, yeah, It's Brody who says it first, and it doesn't make sense, because, like, I thought you were supposed to be the smarmy badass who always has the quippy line that's just like, you know, and so here's like, well, now that you have this dumpy joke that just fell flat, and it's like, that's stupid. Why did you Well, and then they there? even lampshade it later where they have Gil say it, and then they're yeah. like, yeah, I'll shut the fuck up, but it's like, yeah, but... And honestly, as I watched that scene, like I said, this movie at some point seems kind of punk rock, because it's just like... It seems like there. It seems like that was a joke that was suggested by somebody, and at the end of the film, they're actually going, "Yeah, wasn't that a stupid fucking joke? Wasn't Maybe. that really I stupid?" Mean, <laughs> but so here's here's what bugs me though. He's not going to out and out ass rape anybody, but he's going to pressure and emotionally manipulate girls into yeah. agreeing to butt sex, and it's like, okay, you, yeah, like coercion is a thing, mm-hmm. and it's a problem, and it's real. You know what bugs me is that. If he's talking about getting girls to agree to butt sex because they're emotional, like, yeah, it's skeevy and stuff. But, like, first of all, butt sex doesn't have to be awful. Like, I'm yeah, just, there's this like, assumption that isn't like, it gross? And, then, and that's, like, a 90s thing, too. Like, now yeah, yeah, that yeah. people our age eat butt and fuck butt and do everything but. <laughs> it's like, but, oh, man, you guys were so, yeah. uh, the like, times, the seven but, days. But the idea, it's like, okay, like, first of all, <laughs> so anyway. if if a girl is agreeing to it, Hopefully, he's trying to, like, make it nice for her and, like, you know, I mean, he probably is not of his own accord, but she can at least, like, get him to use some lube or something. And in that case, if that's what's happening, then T.S. and Brody just going around and pulling shenanigans instead of literally going to Renee and saying, look... I know you don't have reason to trust me, but this guy you're with said that he was planning on ass fucking you without your consent. Like, it just, to me, it was just sort of, um, it was just a little uncomfortable and, and gross yeah. that it was taken as this sort of like, yeah, he's going to fuck them in the ass and that's a shitty thing to do. But like if they date him, that's what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, because there's the scene. I forgot about that where he says like he's going to have sex with her someplace uncomfortable. And Brody's like, well, maybe she deserves it because she's being a bitch. And I was like. Ooh, oh, that ooh, too. Yeah. Wow. And, and that too, actually, the whole she deserves it is like. Are you saying she deserves to have that happen without her consent? Because if she agrees to it, if she wants it, then that doesn't make sense. So the line only makes sense if you're saying she deserves to be raped. And that uh, that really pushes Brody from being at all charming into being kind of an incel. Well, this is the <laughs> thing that's interesting about the movie. I feel like Ben Affleck does his job because Ben Affleck's job is to make Brody look in any way better in any comparison. Like right. you need someone so shitty that he looks that Brody looks oh, like yeah. a better choice. But and y- I feel like Ben Affleck shows up and does his job. Oh, he as does. He's so shit because when he like talks that shit, it's like this is a horrible character, but this is the best that someone with this fucking monologue could do. They, uh, they finally get off the elevator and uh, uh, the girlfriend, you know, confirms to Ben Affleck, oh, I wasn't uh, having sex with him. Nothing bad was happening. He was just giving me something he should have given me a long time ago. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And then, you know, he's like, well, it's fine. All right, well, let's go to the, you know, Julius, Orange Julius, wherever the fuck was in the mall. And she's like, oh, okay. And she has that look. 
you know, toy. Like, it's the weirdest overdramatic look towards the elevator door and look back and walk on. And the music that plays is like I, some fucking next time on All My Children mm, type of shit. Did see, they cut that out? I don't. I think See, they cut I'm, that out. I'm not confident about anything now, and I and I'm just <laughs> doubting every memory I've ever had. Who are you? Is this my house? This is not my beautiful wife. This is not my beautiful dog. You may ask yourself, <laughs> um, how did I get here? But I don't remember that moment. Yeah, it was like a fucking. It's, no, you would have remembered that. It's like a fucking all my children scene. Like you're just like. Whoa. Okay. It, this, it really does look like it was shot by someone who fucking makes TV shows. Like, And, like, not good, not Mad Men. Yeah, not <laughs> like fucking uh, daytime soaps TV shows. Like, the bottom of the barrel. And, again, women unexpectedly rolling up. Again, the motif shows up. So, they're in the, 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 back, the back room, you know, like, it, away from the main mall where it's, like, you know, stairs and shit like that. And Joey Lawrence, Lauren Adams... Rolls up on, puts her hands on Brody, just like surprises the shit out of him, and then he like knees, I mean, uh, elbows her. In oh the yeah, tit. yeah, like he punches Joey Lawrence in the tit, and then she just like both hands barrel hits his fucking. Nuts. Yeah, it's just like this is a, a different lot of movie. Casual violence. Yeah, like no. this doesn't feel. Like Does that happen before, be or after the Stanley? Uh, they, they, they already, they had like the, um, we noticed like the line going out the door at the oh, comic book yeah, shop. Yeah. And Stanley is doing a Brody signing. Does, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, like how did, and, okay, I it's guess. Exactly. Maybe this is our like internet age. There's, you know, we get a Facebook notification. There's nothing that we don't mm-hmm. hear about. But it is kind of hard to believe that a guy Stan who is. Lee. He's obsessed with comics and he's obsessed with the mall. So how does he know, not know that Stan Lee is going to be at the mall? Exactly. Like he's obsessed with that mall. Like you'd think he'd be a little up on it. Were they keeping the information from him every day that he went in there? They took down all the posters it, whenever he happened to come in. There's no way they didn't advertise fucking Stan goddamn Lee. Stan, smiling Stan Lee. Yeah. Like, no. No, like clearly that, that was something people knew about. And it is. Rest in it peace, does by seem. The way. Yes. Going back into it. Uh. I do want to say, again, giving props to the little bit of Kevin Smith movie that was peeking out. You see the scene where um, uh, Silent Bob and Jay meet up uh, with T.S. and Brody and uh, Joey is there. And she looks up at Kevin Smith and he goes, it just hides his face. I love oh, yeah, that, that was off. really cute. <laughs> That, Especially knowing that, like, oh, but they that, actually that are. they're actually in real yeah. life. Yeah, that was very cute. That was so cute. Yeah, it's funny because the the stuff going on with everybody other than Jay and Silent Bob is within the realm of reality. It's like, yeah. you know, it's wackadoo, but it's like nothing too crazy. But Jay and Silent Bob are just in a comic book. Yeah, and it's incredible. But I absolutely hated. Uh, so. So uh, Brody got beat up by, um, what's his name? Shannon. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Shannon. And then afterwards, he goes like, um, you know, T.S. is like, uh, Joey has to leave. She's like, oh, well, I got to go. And it's so contrived. Like, the way she talks, the dialogue there is really bad. Like, it just seemed like a scene was cut short. And they just like, all right, well, she has to leave now. And it was just like, uh, okay. And then... Um, What's the thing? Oh, yeah. When he's about to leave, Tia says, all right, man, I'm going to go hit the bathroom. And, of course, uh, Brody. He goes, oh, don't, woman, say says, don't say hit. hit. That was such uh, a cheesy. Uh, that was cheesy. I just I just wrote 
boo. <laughs> like, that was just a bad joke. Like, nobody, like, nobody, <laughs> nobody is going to be. It's like you could see a situation where oh, that kind of thing, like. I almost kind of pitied him doing that while he was doing it. Like, it I was, it like, was oh, like, I, I, like, I realize, I recognize <laughs> the structure of that joke. I have heard jokes structured yeah, that yeah. way. Be funny. That was not a good example. So the chocolate pretzel scene. Oh, God. Okay. I'm not, I have a stronger stomach than I used to. Okay. Uh, I have a stronger stomach than I used to, but I, the, uh, I, I, I just I feel don't like enjoy that. As far as gross out, like, when I saw that scene, as I was watching it, I was like, you know, in a if this movie were better, this would be like this is the apex of the movie. Like this is why you came to the movie because you know in the I Love the '90s special they're gonna be talking about oh yeah then there was the chocolate it, it, pretzel scene it, you know? right it was like I it was the moment that if we're comparing it to Clerks it was like the boner corpse sex right right it was like the elephant vagina scene in that. Sasha Baron Cohen movie Grimsby, <laughs> right? Um, you know it's the, big the scene yeah, yeah. that, like, yeah, the gross. Out, and the thing with gross out humor, like for me, I don't care for gross out humor, and I realize that sounds a little school marmish, but you know how you might eat like a really, really, really hot pepper, kind of just to prove you can, mm. and it's like, ah, yeah, you. I did it. Like <laughs> you, you for, powered for me. For me. Powering through gross out humor, like I never find it actually funny. Mm. I can kind of feel a little bit of pride in the fact that I got through it without barfing. So maybe that is but the, the appeal of. These I think maybe it way, is. You know? I think that possibly the appeal of gross out humor is like the appeal of three hundred thousand Scoville hot sauce. It's like. Mm. Maybe, maybe most people like I. I've never watched it and like genuinely like belly laughed. It's it's more just like ah ah, but I'm not looking away because I'm tough. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> you know, and it's funny like we don't really have the gross out humor comedy as much anymore. And if they do, it's the lowest. It's the absolute lowest. Yeah, it doesn't low. seem to be a big thing anymore. Because we have YouTube be... now, so we can get our gross out shit from there. Yeah, you know? I mean, you've got you've got everybody watching, like, pimple popping videos, and that's real. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. You have Dr. fucking Pimple Popper has an actual television show. E- exactly. So, so, you know, but, but I will say, I actually thought, like, as far as... I think that scene was the perfect intersection between... The Clerks uh, comedy and the Broad comedy, you know, because I, I actually feel like Brody does his best job in trying to make it look because there is that sort of the dramatic tension of he doesn't know what's going on, but he does. And so the reason why he's acting really weird, like the actually that's it. The bad acting gets used well because Brody's still not a great actor, but it makes sense that he's acting badly because we know what's really going on. He has a bag of chocolate covered pretzels. He's rubbed his hand all up in his sweaty, nasty ass crack and then hands pretzels to the guy with, and it basically... The, the bald dude who's the, running the whole... Right, Brandy's, the Brandy's dad. And, like, like, not enough that it's like literally eating chunks of shit, but like... But just enough where the smell is on his hand it's really fucking gross now the thing that was interesting to me about that scene is that we get this glimpse of a relationship between brody 
and Brandy's dad, where apparently they have this affable relationship, even though Brandy's dad hates T.S. And he still looks down on Brody. He still thinks of him as, because there's a point where he's like, well, you know, maybe, uh, he's like, uh, how do you polish that ring? Because he keeps touching it. And he's like, well, maybe one day when you uh, get your, you know, get your own job, you'll see that uh, you don't have for time for such luxuries as ring polishing. He seems to have this sort of affable neighbor boy relationship with Brody. Yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. um, that's really interesting and weird to because me because there is that I, facade of yeah, he is an asshole. So and, why is he acting differently? And with so him? that so that that glimpse of a relationship that seems counterintuitive mm. is really interesting. But then, of course, it's completely covered over by like, yeah. oh, he's eating butt pretzels. <laughs> so I, I just got to say this next line: What you need is a fatty boom patty blunt, and I guarantee you'll see a sailboat, an ocean, maybe even some of those big titty mermaids doing some of that lesbian shit. Look at me, look at me, you sloppy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was Jay being the Jayest. And the it was J-est wonderful. Line. That was so Jay. It was oh, it was wonderful. Uh, TS says to Brody, you know, Brody's trying to take him to the psychic. Um, which he has to pay for, by the way. He makes uh, okay. TS I had a question about psychic. that. I'm like, this is the early '90s. How does a slacker with no discernible like does he even have a job? Like, how does this slacker in the early '90s? Because this yeah. is early '90s money. <clears throat> he just has sixty dollars. That would be like you or me just having like a hundred bucks. Yeah, like that's, that's I feel like, what, like. Like, why does he have that much money on his person? I, I feel like it should have been like I said. This should have been about. High schoolers. And if it had been like $20 and maybe he went to the local, you know, uh, psychic or whatever, that seems like something that dumb high schooler kids do, not 23, 24 year olds. You know what I'm trying to yeah, say? Yeah, I mean, I this do. This is think, like big type of shit, you know? Like, oh, let's go I, to Madame Zamboni and look at I the- do think that it was trying to like make a point about how immature they were. Yeah. But. Yeah, it does seem more like a high... It, it seems very much like a high school movie. Yeah. And I feel like... Here's the thing. So it does feel very much like a high school movie. It feels like something where any other movie... Like, if you described this movie without mentioning the characters' ages, I would absolutely have assumed it was a high school movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost feel like the only reason it's not is that Kevin Smith... And I don't know how intentional this was on his part... But he was, however intentionally or unintentionally, starting to build the Viewisk universe, yeah. definitely building in the references to different characters who all knew each other. And because the characters and clerks were in their early 20s, and these are all people in the same cohort, in the same town, mm-hmm. um, they also had to be in their early 20s. And also the, like, having, um, you know, the, like, planning to propose is obviously, yeah, yeah. like, more of a young adult thing. Yeah. But, um... I feel like this is, like, a super... But, yeah, a lot of the behavior, it does seem much more like something that... It's stuff that I would have done as a teenager. Like, I know when I was a teenager, I was running around the mall with my friends yeah. and probably would have gone to see a psychic if there had been a psychic in the mall. And, like... Like, it, 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 this movie feels to me like his super bad if it was a good movie. Like, he, he wrote the script when he was younger and he kept it and he was just like... Well, I kind of want to do this, but then all that label, the, the um, company chicanery came into it and messed it all up. Yeah. I, like I said, I feel like it's, this is supposed to be It's interesting. You know what movie he did write way early on before Clerks and had sitting in a drawer? Okay. Dogma. I That's just learned that today. Yeah. I just learned I that. I'd that. forgotten that or didn't know it, and I just saw that today in his book that he was talking about. He had written Dogma before Clerks, but was hanging on and to he it. Didn't want to make it yet, yeah. Because obviously, like you can't make Dogma as an indie film. Yeah, no. Like no. you need the effects, you need the set, you need the mm-hmm. budget. 
And and so all right, but I want to say I want to ask if this line showed up because he says you know T.S. gets all indignant. He's like, why should I pay good money uh, to see some old lady sagging boobs? And then that was definitely in the director's okay. cut, and it did feel a little bit like oh. And he just goes, oh. Quint, you're a homosexual, and I was like, what? Wow. I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't remember him saying you're a homosexual. I feel like that. That looks that literally looked like a line that was cut because I was just like. That wasn't funny. I yeah, that was weird. Like <laughs> I don't I literally I mean, and again, I'm doubting everything now. It's possible it was there and I missed it somehow, but I don't remember him saying you're Oof. a homosexual. That joke landed with a thud. I was like, ooh. And and Because and, because it's like I think he says something about like, oh, you don't appreciate something, something. Yeah, well, you don't want to like, see a woman's tits no matter in what capacity, even if it's like some possibly 80 year old it's like a 23 year old typically does not want to see an 80 year old woman yeah like what no i don't remember that that's it's it's interesting seeing like all the little things how much worse the shit was Mm. and and it's interesting that it's just like like i get it straight men are so desperate to see breasts you know it's a 90s comedy you know any uh, but that definitely feels a lot more like crappy sitcom-y first draft kind of thing but well, okay, so, and I'm curious how you feel about this, because I do think, like, it's it's broad, but I thought it worked okay, um, that you have, you know, and this is, this is a pretty broad joke, but you have, T.S. goes in, very skeptical, like, this is stupid, psychics are stupid, this is fake, blah, 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 and then the psychic convinces him... And yeah, and Brody, so it is kind of changed. The, Brody's yeah. going in all enthusiastic. T.S. goes in skeptical. T.S. gets convinced. Brody ends up being like angry see, okay, and saying, I see it's what fake. You're saying. "And then T.S. comes out of there going, no, 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 she's brilliant. She's right. Here's mm. what we got to do." And like, and for whatever reason, the psychic fires him up. And I think the thing that's interesting is that I think if we were to take it as a very literal, like this psychic convinced him that she really has psychic yeah. powers, like then it would just be like, "Okay, T.S. is stupid. This mm. is stupid." But I think that what it really is, um, and maybe I'm giving too much credit here, but I know that Kevin Smith's a good writer and is and is capable of being subtle. So I'm what I think is happening is that T.S. Um, he, he sort of convinced himself that the psychic has convinced him, but what he's actually mm-hmm. done is just convinced himself because deep down he wants to light a fire, he wants to go take action and win his girl back. And you know, and do all this stuff. And this was the placebo. He and it was the placebo. The psychic yeah. telling him was sort of a placebo where he could go. And it's and plot wise, you can't show somebody just sort of like having a yeah. gradual change of heart. Like there has to be some inciting element and something to react against. And the psychic telling him this and him going, and, "Yes, okay, she's right." And I think it's funny that he finds that moment of clarity when he leaves the commercial mall. Yeah, it's at the you dirt see what mall. I'm saying? It's at the dirt mall. But then I feel like it gets undercut because it starts off with her saying a subsidiary of big something something that, company. So it's yeah, like Yeah, and and I it, and it, I do remember that and I think that was just like a weird off joke where it was supposed to be like, you know, oh, she's making this like disclaimer and blah blah blah. But yeah, it was like who's she working for? She's a fucking psychic at the yeah. flea market. Who's and, she working and, for? And this is how I feel. Like the way some of the jokes are written they snap the rubber band of suspension of disbelief, mm-hmm. right? Like, because it's like, okay, this, uh, yeah, psychic working in a flea mall, huh, isn't that silly? But let's make her a subsidiary of some company. It's like, okay, it, you snap it, the rubber band. It that felt, doesn't, it's too far. It, it felt like one of those jokes 
that was like they're gonna think about what what joke might work in this exact moment without thinking about how it fits into the larger yes. context. Yes. And, and I'm saying, and I realize, like, we're both saying they, they, they here instead of he, instead of Kevin Smith, because there is very much a sense of this is not just Kevin Smith sitting and writing this. Like, there's a yeah. they there. There's, like, a and group. it is visibly, it's, like, you can tell. You, you can feel the multiple, like, committee. The hands in the you, pot. You can feel the hands in the pot here, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, let, let's give this movie some credit. Let's talk about Stan Lee. Mm. I, that was great. It fucking warmed my heart. And I, I don't care how fucking cheap we we <laughs> see him right now. Having Stanley because here's the thing, here's what I would say is like if it was a straightforward Stanley happens to wander across this young man like a Simpsons a episode, to, yeah. It would have been okay, that's kind of cheesy, but it's cute, blah blah blah. But having it be that Brody, like, got a hold of him and talked him into doing it and that Stanley was making up some bullshit. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so great. And, and But what's great about it is that it totally fits into how Stanley's personality works because this is like, oh, yeah, Stanley probably would, like, be like, you know what? That guy needs some motivation and this guy's asking me to do it. And ah, he's, sure, and he's a showman. And 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 you don't feel like he and it's not it works. Icky. The 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 fact that he's making up the story doesn't feel icky or duplicitous. It feels <laughs> charming. It feels like yeah, he's a storyteller. Yeah, and it was a sweet and moment. it felt and it felt very like yeah, this is what Kevin Smith is good at is t- taking something that might seem like you know like I kept saying in Clerk stuff like oh we expect the main character to wake up in bed instead he rolls out of his mm-hmm. closet. In this, we could easily expect it to be like, here's this, here's the you know, cameo, and here's that's the cameo, it. and he's just giving him a heartwarming speech out of the goodness of his heart, and doing something more with it and making it, you know, that's what shows how th- that he is a cut above the rest. If people would just let him be, yeah, you know, like, and then he does get to be, you know, after we'll we'll get to, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get to chasing Amy, and he does get to just. Now, you and, know, but and what I love about the scene is that so you know, I, I it, it works so organically because Brody, of course, he's super fan of Stan Lee, comes up to him and is like, "I want to talk to you just about you know the, these fan theories that I've had. Let me tell you about these. Ooh, what did you think of his dick? What did you think of uh, the thing's dick? What do you think of Superman's dick?" And he's just sort of like. Stan Lee is always oh right right. I just I realized yeah I just flipped it in my head that it's Stanley talking to Brody and T S is the one who put him up to it. Which yeah I I don't know why I had it flipped in my head. No 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 yeah yeah. yeah, It also it also like makes more sense that Stanley would probably be more receptive to T S who's not going to be like an awkward fanboy asking for a favor. Exactly. So like I I liked how Stanley was used. I like how he he's. You know, he's trying to get him to focus on fan, fan theories, and Stanley keeps going, yeah, but I remember that one girl that got away. And yeah, actually, kind of my comic books reminded me of that. And like you said, there is that subversion of expectation, which makes him so fuck, which makes his writing so fucking awesome. Like I said, I wrote down Stanley and Ben Affleck are like the shining gems <laughs> of this movie. And like I said, uh, he's such a sweet guy. I totally, and he portrays it so well, I totally could imagine him doing this. Now, let me show a, a part that might have been a mistake, but I feel like makes the the scene that much sweeter because of how it works. Now, let me explain. T.S. says Excelsior wrong. And as we all know, well, if you're a fan of Stan Lee, the way he would end a lot of his um, sort of soapbox things for his uh, comic books, he would... Excelsior. Yeah, Excelsior. You know, Excelsior, viewers. And, you know, but T.S. says it wrong because he's not as into comic books. 
but your boy Stan Lee is so nice. He goes, you got that right. Like, because he, know, he knows what he meant, and he knew where his heart was, and he was just like, I'm not going to correct you. I'm not going to do It's like, no. Like, I know what you meant, and I'm going to be like, yeah, do that thing. Keep going. I was like, ah, that was so cool. Like, you know, he wasn't an asshole. He was just nice, you know? Yeah. No, that was very, very heartwarming. So basically, Brody gets a talking to that gets him on the right path. TS has had his change of heart. And we've from, got the third act set From up. the nipples. <laughs> and now everything starts to come to a head because, so I guess we should, we haven't really talked much about the security, but basically yeah. this guy, it, it, le, le, What's his name? LaFont? Uh, 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 yeah, LaFur? LaFours. LaFours is the scary security guard who is in Daddy Brandy's. He's got a real name, and I just keep Baldy, Baldy Daddy. Yeah, he's in LaFours Lef- 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 is in Baldy Daddy's pocket, um, and he has this team of, of uh, security guards, and somehow they get the real cops involved. And basically, like, the fuzz broadly speaking, is after T.S. and Brody at this point. Mm. But at least in the director's cut, it's over some bullshit. They're not actually in danger of going to prison. Nobody got yeah. shot. You know, this is yeah. all just... They, this they is all just shenan- This is all just, like, mall kid shenanigans at this point. Um, and so the dating game is happening, and uh, Jay and Silent Bob have gotten... Basically, as you mentioned before, Jay and Silent Bob... Well, Jay got the actual dating game contestants nervous. Oh, yeah, he got them really high, Got right? And then yeah, got yeah. them really high. The the whole thing starts playing out with the big set piece of, oh, she's on a contestant show. She's a horrible actress. Can I just say, like, the, her line reads are so bad. Like, it feels like all of her scenes were done in one take, and I'm just like, like, there's one scene where she straight up sounds like Morty from Rick and Morty, the way she <laughs> stutters across a line. I was, one, like, the line read was so awkward. I was kind of wondering if, like, Maybe she was British and do, trying to do an American accent. <laughs> whoa, whoa, what line was this? It was where she says, uh, you with Bumbler, the boy wonder over there, and you screwed up things further, proving proof that you never took the situation seriously. Proving proof? I see What the that, fuck? I don't remember like noticing that, but now that you've said it, I wonder if she is British. Claire Ferlani. Uh... She is British, dude. Oh, she I fucking is British. Called it, bro. Called it. Yeah. I thought something was off about the way she, she was talking. Yeah, it didn't bother me that much, but yeah, she does seem like she's concentrating a little bit too hard on saying the words correctly, yes. which if she's doing an accent makes sense. Absolutely. See, I knew something was fucking wrong. That's so funny. Yeah, because like you I it didn't occur to me until you said it. And I was like, Yeah, she does sound like that. And then yep. You <laughs> called it, you called it. And so she's asking so you know, we already have the the artificiality of Oh, we're going to find love, but on a dating show. <laughs> no one would ever do that a couple years later for basically the basis of reality television. But well, I mean, the dating—I <laughs> mean, dating game shows like yeah, that. Like yeah. it was a—that was a thing already. That, that's true. And actually, I felt like maybe they were doing a commentary on the dad because this specifically, this the dating show, like this is '70s style television. It is, so, yeah. And, and it feels weird, like oh, we're taking that. And down, actually, you know? the the network executives who are the characters the network executives say that they say like this is old fashioned this is tired yeah, yeah. you know and and, and but it, the questions that she has like 
if we made Whoopi, what noises would you make? And of course, like Brody is being like the, I'm the, you know, the straight guy telling it like it is. Like, what yeah, do you mean? Found, you mean if we fucked? Yeah, <laughs> I, I found the whole thing with like, oh, Brody's so shocking and funny. It was like. And the people laughing yeah, at him. Yeah, I, I really didn't buy that. I didn't. Yeah. It was just weird. Yeah. And, and, and then there's the part where he says, again, this makes, uh, in, shows an inconsistency in the film. Uh, he says, uh, oh, uh, you know, he's ripping on the Brian uh, character who has the same last name as Dante Hicks. Yeah, Gil Hicks is very clearly supposed to be like Dante's cousin or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So he says, uh, uh, um, he says, oh, man, you're a loser. You'd beg for sex. I know. We can smell our own. He's like, oh, oh that Brody's desperate for sex. He's like. But what about that chick at the beginning of the movie who just, like, rolled up on you and did the little I, tongue thing? And, I like... don't know what that... I feel like that must have been cut in the director's cut because <laughs> yeah. that does not seem... It seemed like they had a different plan for this now, character and yeah. then they switched up midway through. Now, I will say... Or it was just random, but I will say yeah. that Gil is kind of interesting juxtaposed with Ben Affleck's character because, I mean, look, I don't want to be judgy or say anything mean about anybody, but, like, can we just agree that Ben Affleck is better looking than Brian O'Halloran? I'm sorry, Brian O'Halloran. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's the content. I know. I just feel, I feel mean saying something. <laughs> I think something. there's a reason why he's in, butt ma- I, in, in the Buttman versus I Superman feel, movie. I feel mean saying that. But, like, no, Ben Affleck is, is uh, you know, handsomer just conventionally. <laughs> so, um, so Gil is basically the same character as Shannon, but not as good looking. So it's like, because... Yeah. Because, and this is something you see in real life, is, like, you have two people who are both acting creepy and inappropriate, but if one person's good looking, they can get away with it mm. a little bit more. Yeah, because you see him, him trying to pull off the cool guy stick and Brody shuts Right, it down. and so, like, Shannon's just as gross as Gil... But he is handsome, and he's he's Ben Affleck, so he gets away with it. Whereas Gil's just like the most blatantly, obviously smarmy, gross guy yeah. that like. And, and the show itself is making fun of the capitalistic exploitation of people's emotions for profit, but it's just pulled off so fucking horribly. You know, like it feels like there's supposed to be a like there's a commentary that was supposed to happen here about you know people buying things and how malls are. You know, this isn't you know there was supposed to be that third act thing and it just kind of didn't do yeah, that because we ended up focusing on Brody and how he's a, I, a cut up. You know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I just really didn't buy Brody being super super funny and charming to the point that they end up. Offering him his own talk show. Yeah, that uh, was so... Ugh. And, okay, we have another okay, instance. So we oh. need to talk about Trisha. But did you want to bring something else? Uh, well, I wanted to talk about... Um, yeah, you said... Never mind, yeah, because there's that whole bullshit where he's like, oh, you can't be comfortable with your own sexuality. Oh, you're a homophobe. Oh, da, da, da. And now, that is all stupid, but I did love Jay's laugh afterwards. <laughs> like, he was just like... <laughs> yeah, that little <laughs> shot of Jay backstage <laughs> laughing. He almost was... made it funny. But then you have the woman gliding into the screen again out of butt-fucking-nowhere from the left. Because it was... um, I think it's Trisha, right? She comes in and she's like, hey. Trisha does glide in, but and that he- was set up. Well, that one was that one was yeah because it was set up earlier where Brody told her like go get the videotape and give it mm-hmm. to Jay and the whole thing. And Bob's like up in the rafters with the batarang and he's trying to. There's been a recurring gag like we oh, haven't yeah. we haven't spent as much time talking about. Um, but there was a setup with Bob earlier, Silent Bob trying to use Jedi mind tricks, mm-hmm. and then he's up in the rafters and he's 
he drops the tape and he's trying to use Jedi mind tricks to like psychic it up to him to telekinetically pull it up to himself. Yeah, yeah. And he can't do it. And then Willem comes in and like bangs on the um on the uh, scaffolding out of because frustration. He's, yeah, super angry about the toy. Uh, and the, and yeah. when Willem bangs it, the the tape pops up into Bob's hands, and so he thinks like, "Oh, my mind trick worked," which is kind of funny. And that like that has Kevin Smith like, all that's, over it. That's a nice little callback and and connecting tie, things. tying things together. Like that was clever. Yeah. Now the monologue that Brody does, mm-hmm. where he's like. You know, on a plane, there were all these, uh, my cousin was on a plane and it oh, started the going down. Oh, the jerk it, it Yeah. I thought that was actually a really funny moment. Yeah. And that, and that, <laughs> that actually, and if you are watching, uh, and if you're watching the director's cut and the movie starts out with Brody telling a, a, a cousin Wallace, mm, yeah. wait, Wallace? Now I'm like forgetting if that was actually but you know his gross cousin with Brody telling that story and then telling another story it kind of like brings it full circle and it's not just out of nowhere yeah yeah um so I think they really did a disservice in cutting that also uh but so so Trisha brings in the tape that she made with Shannon for her research (laughs) and they project in a mall on live television (laughs) this giant video of a 20, a late 20 something man having anal sex with a 15 year old girl who looks very bored. Yes. Um, and I know what they were going for. Because then, you know, because then the cops show up and, and Brody, I, I think it's Brody is going, you know, like, she's 15, he's having sex with a minor, there's the incident, and they drag Shannon off to jail, and of course, isn't that satisfying? And of course, he end, there's a prison rape joke, and isn't that oh, satisfying? God. He fucks girls in the butt, and now he's getting fucked in the butt, and mm. isn't that comeuppance? Oh, oh I want to go back to that that horrible punchline, where he's like, uh, we're, 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 so he tells the whole story, and then the Brian O'Halloran guy goes, so did they come or what? And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, stupid. I don't know. I mean, I kind of thought like Gil was effective as being like the wet blanket dumbass yeah, who doesn't understand what's going but, on. But so so yeah, the whole thing with like the thing with Trisha was so weird because it's like everyone when, just witnessed child pornography. Yes, like, yeah. There's that, but also, two ways about but also, but also, it's like when it becomes convenient, then all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, isn't it horrible that this grown man fucked this 15 year old girl? Look at that, drag him off to prison immediately. Yeah, but it was cute earlier in the but movie. Nobody seemed to have an issue with it up until that very moment when it became convenient. Exactly to like, get rid of this guy she, we don't like. She was literally about to have a book deal. Based off of this, and then it, and then in the after, like in the uh, you know the the what's it? I can't epilogue. In the yeah. epilogue, uh, she's shown like at a book signing with her best-selling book. Yeah, like I remember, I said like, um, this mall is closed. Like this isn't <laughs> this yeah. entire mall is fucking closed. Yeah, for, they just showed shot. No, oh yeah, not yeah. This, but. The PR disaster. It was. It was. Yeah. It was. It was a very weird. It was very weird. But so. So TS. I guess we should like mention that in the dating game, what the main thrust of what happens is that TS is being a contestant. Brandy cannot see him. Yeah. She eventually figures out that it's TS, but she starts talking to him as if he's a contestant, and he starts like kind of. Like, trying to win her back, but really he's just kind of berating her. Yeah, he just ends up saying things that are really mean. It's just like, um, you know you're doing this, like, in front of people, right? Yeah, it was, 
yeah. So, so, but eventually, like, they reconcile, and at the end, uh, and he he mentions that he was going to propose to her, and they, you know, they have a big romantic kiss, and Brody gets congratulated on being awesome by the network executives, and Shannon gets hauled off to prison. I will say, though, the dad kind of does have a point about arresting them now, when he says, like, public indecency, like, uh, uh, you know, FCC violations, all this is like, yeah, that's actually kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> I they, mean, they need to be in technically, jail. Technically, it was Bob who's up in the rafters yeah, yeah. unseen. But, who I mean, that, they, but, but see, the thing is, they put that all together. They, oh, yeah. They would at least be uh, to go to pr- go to jail for, like, conspiracy to, you know, solicit yeah. Uh, yeah, whatever, if it's, whatever. If it was provable. I mean, we could quibble over the but, legal. But here's, the thing about it is. The situation is too absurd to work. That's the whole thing. Because wasn't she recording anyways? We already had it, like you said, it was established she was recording her having sex with these people. So this is recorded documentation that was going to be recorded and shown to a company anyway. So the the idea of, yeah, now it's bad because we need to put the bad guy away. It's just yeah, like, well, it just this felt, was already confusing. It was very, it did feel very, like, inconsistent. The movie's attitude towards what Trisha is doing felt very inconsistent. Uh, and so it's just kind of used as like this gotcha for Shannon because yeah. he's a douche. And, and and how he reacts, I will say, it's like, it, it is one of those going down with a shitty eating grin till the end. Like he's like, 15, I thought she was 36. <laughs> Come on, guys. Tell me you wouldn't have popped her. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. I, like you was, are dedicated to he this He was man. a very consistent character. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so basically, the the our two our two boys get their girls back, and yeah. the and the douchebag goes oh down. My God, this, and then oh, and this. then we have the we have the epilogue, and uh, we find out that T.S. and and uh, Brandy get married on the Jaws yeah, on the, the Jaws ride at Universal earlier. Studio, which. Uh, which like you know what, what a what a nerd fantasy is yeah. that that your girlfriend would agree to that? I want to say this before we continue though. So uh, the part about Lafer, uh, Lafour. Oh right, yeah, because right. yeah, like what even happens with Lafour? He just kind of pizzles out. So from what I remember. he, the reason why he gets distracted so that Bob can do what he does, and this is what the contradiction is, is because the fifteen-year-old girl has sex with him. That was not in the one I saw. Yeah. That's Whoa. the thing. She has to distract him. So that scene where uh, Bob falls down and you see uh, the, the the guards stand up like, what, what was that? And he's all shirtless and stuff. And then you see a hand come up and pull him back down. Yeah. I, okay, and again, I'm downing everything, but I do not remember that. That might have very well been cut out of the director's cut. Yeah, because it doesn't work. Because if you're saying that it's bad... You're literally using an underage child in order for you to accomplish your goals. So how are you I'm, any better I'm, than the character? I'm seriously wondering if I just missed that, but I don't remember mm. that. Like that that does seem like something that somebody would have been like, ooh. Somebody hey. somebody would have been like, dude. <laughs> yeah, because I because now that I think about it, it was just kinda LaForce just didn't show up again. But. Yeah, I think if he didn't show up, I think th- there must have been something they cut out. Yeah. Um and then oh, well, okay. So I came to a point where, where you actually, I, I heard what uh, Ben Affleck said during the tape as they're playing it, and I was thinking, I was like, he said some really 
weird stuff. Oh, well, okay, so apparently I I read about this. Or I think I might have seen this in the little, like, trivia on Amazon or something yeah. when I was watching. Because he's like, call me Joey, call me... And he says, and who's it, your favorite new kid? Right, <laughs> right. And they cut that out. The, the who's your favorite new kid line got cut in the version oh. I saw. So he's just randomly like, call me Joey. Yeah, call, call me, me this. Like, call me that. Yeah, it was just like, what's that and about? Says, please don't go, which I think is a new kids on the block song. Like, I enjoyed it just fine i didn't get the like wow this is brilliant filmmaking that i did from clerks Mm. but you know we were talking about this on the break that um sophomore efforts there's like a curse with like anybody's second movie second book second album there's always a a little bit of a dip there's a slump and Mm. a lot of what happens with filmmakers because this happened to other filmmakers clerks did well kevin smith got this huge budget from all rats didn't do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and we'll get to this, you know, we do Chasing Amy, but Chasing Amy had a very small budget uh, and then did very well. Um, but I think that, you know, Mallrats was Kevin Smith's first time working in a studio system. Um, yeah. His first time working with a big budget, his first time working with the constraints of other people. Um, apparently, I was reading that... that uh, the studio didn't want him to cast Jason Mewes as Jay. They wanted to cast somebody else as Jay mm. and made wow. Jason Mewes not only audition, but like basically had him do this month-long trial run where they wouldn't pay for any of his accommodations. They wouldn't do anything, and they were really treating him like uh, like trash. Um, and, you know, so it was a very weird situation. That's weird, because he, I mean, Jay, he pulled through and made a great performance despite that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but I do think that, um, you know, Mallrats, I think a lot of the flaws were just, it, even though it's Kevin Smith's second movie, it was his first time for a lot of things. And he made that film the next year. Yeah. Clerks was uh, released in 94. Yeah. And uh, um, Ballrats was 95. Yeah. And I remember being like, whoa, that turnaround is really quick. Yeah. I mean, I think he actually shot Clerks in like 92, but like, but yeah, it was, it was fast. It was his first time working in a studio system. It was his first time working with a big budget. And obviously there was a lot of interference. Yeah. yeah. Um, So Uh, basically people going, oh, you don't really know what you're doing. Let let me come in here in order to make, yeah, look at this. Clerks was released in theaters. October 19th, 1994. When was uh, Mallrats? October 20th, 1995. Yeah, so a year Not later. Not even a full 365 days after his debut Three, 366. Yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like, like, imagine that. Like, that's a big turnover time for someone who needs it. And it fucking shows. Yeah, I, I think there was a lot of pressure on him. There was a lot of interference. And I will say that I think your experience – now, I'm glad this happened. I think it's very interesting that this <laughs> happened. But I think that your experience was – not that I'm saying it's a brilliant movie, but yeah. your experience of finding it so bad. Yeah. I mean, there's no way you couldn't have been turned off by what you sat through. It, well, that's the thing because I could swear uh, – just to let you know my experience with Kevin Smith's movies, I went into – I saw Dogma first, uh-huh. then Jay and Silent Bob. And then Clerks, then Chasing Amy. Well, first, 
if I were to be completely 100 with y'all, I saw the scene in Chasing Amy with Jay and Silent Bob, and then, of course, did not watch, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> watch yeah. it all the way until later, and then I saw Chasing Amy, and then I saw Mallrats, and I remember everyone telling me that it was shitty, but then when I saw it on that VHS copy, I remember being it, hmm. Because you probably, that bad. yeah, because you probably saw the director's cut exactly, and, and I didn't realize like that's why I felt so fucking betrayed. Like it felt like a Berenstain Bears thing. I was like, whoa, I don't remember it being real. like this. Yeah. yeah, and I wanted to say really quick, um, I, I wanted to cap off the 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 theory, crazy theory thing. Think about what he's saying to the girl during the sex scene. He's saying, "Who's your favorite new kid?" What is this thing that this 15-year-old girl likes? Oh, shit, Think yeah. About and that. he's claiming he doesn't know she was a kid, and then he's asking exactly. what boy band figure she likes. There are a lot of little touches that you can really see Kevin Smith's talent shining through. Mm. Um, and I liked the overall sort of, like, gritty, colorful, indie comic aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. I liked that sort of tank girl aesthetic. Yeah, that- he wanted to go full rock star with this movie. You right, know, and and the fact that like the studio came in and made it sitcommy in places like fuck yeah. them like that was them. Yeah. I'm not gonna say that Kevin Smith didn't make any mistakes on it. I feel like in a perfect world, it still would have been a bit of a misstep, but it wouldn't have. But been. it would have been an a, yeah. I mean, and I will say so for anybody listening, if you haven't watched it recently, go on Amazon Prime, rent it there, or buy it there because <laughs> that's or or you know whatever, however you watch it, make sure you're watching the director's cut. Yeah. If you watch it and it starts with a voiceover talking about a cat shoving up somebody's ass. You're on the right track. That's the that's the right one. Watch. Look the, for the cat up someone's look, ass. Look for the cat up somebody's ass and you know you're in the right place. Um, uh, yeah, because I, I enjoyed re-watching it. I, you know, like, sure there were bits that were cringy that really don't age well. There were, like, they, like I said, specifically the scene with um, him pulling the girl back down. And I, I'd written this down. There's a big teddy bear in the back. And like, sort of like, it's lit kind of darkly, and there's like stuff that oh, looks shit. like. Oh shit! I didn't stuff. even. Oh. Yeah, and and that's why when that happens, like that's specifically why I wanted to highlight that because I was like, what the fuck, like. And she mentions like she lives with her parents, and the parents are fine with it, which is like, ugh. Yeah. But like, he clearly like walked in and saw her mom and dad sitting there, and like. Ugh. But, and uh, she's wearing a school uniform when exactly. they meet. Isn't she wearing like a Catholic school uniform? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So no, I mean that that's actually really smart. That it was definitely like you're meant to think that he knew she was a kid. Yeah, I feel like the ultimate message is commercialism doesn't solve your emotional problems. Right. Like you know you can't just go here and just get this and you'll feel better. That you have to confront your emotions. That's what the movie was supposed to be saying, but. It just falls by the wayside with all this with all this bullshit. However, that soundtrack is fucking flames. The soundtrack is good. <laughs> it's a fun it's a fun watch. Make sure you watch the director's cut. Yeah, yeah. Do not watch the theatrical cut. <laughs> watch the director's cut. Maybe oh like God. imbibe some sort of intoxicating substance first. <laughs> Don't like sit down like you're gonna watch a fucking, you know, cinematic masterpiece. But just yeah. it can be enjoyable. Um so, do you want to tell people what our uh, our next plan is? Because it's oh, not yeah. what they might be expecting. So, um, uh, I, I, I want to let you guys know, we're, 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 of course, because we started this podcast uh, talking about Chasing Amy, what we're going to be looking at next is the Clerks TV show and uh, the failed pilot. 
Speaking of horrible, horrible, <laughs> horrible, sitcom offensively bad, bullshit, milk toast, oh, corporate man. crap that got... Oh, my <laughs> fucking God. I Okay, I will say, I watched two minutes of this, and I had to stop. I am going to subject myself to this for the sake of, of you listeners, and for this, I will make myself watch this entire pilot. I'm going to have... A large container of ice cream on hand. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have some comfort object. I'm gonna have like a stress alien. I'm. Yeah. I'm Let gonna... me tell you something. When I first, I I looked up Clerks. Excuse me. When I looked up Clerks, I saw. Oh yeah, of course, Clerks the movie, Clerks the TV show, and then it was like Clerks the TV show, and I was like, what? There's oh yeah, on one? IMDb, and then you're like, what's yeah, that? Yeah, and then I and then I, you checked it out and watched it, and I was like. I could not get through it's the first so fucking joke. Fucking bad. I couldn't do it. It's so fucking bad. But let's save our iron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, uh, so this was Mallrats. This was Mallrats. Uh, and, and that sailboat payoff, you know, with Jay and Silent Bob, oh, where, yeah. where he's like, oh man, I can't believe I'm such a genius. And you see the dude in the back crying. That was an, an awesome uh, Kevin Smith moment. And you could fucking tell it was. That shit was classic. So uh, I, I think I think that's the appropriate way to end it, you know, with us uh, talking about uh, someone staring at sailboats. Uh, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, if there's enough support, we were thinking about maybe expanding it into its own Patreon or Stitch channel, wherever podcasts are sold. So let us know if you want us to do that. And if you do, please share, subscribe, let the people know about it. Tell your friends, arm yourselves with knowledge. You know what I'm saying. And we'll see you next time on View Askew News. Peace.